hey, Steve. I wasn't aware I was paying you to socialize. You're not. I'm off the clock. Well, isn't that convenient for you? And the clock. All right. Well, welcome back to Movie Food, and welcome, welcome back to us, Steve. Man, mm. it's been a while. It's like um, we we had our most productive month, I feel, in October, uh, but we never recorded an episode together. Like every episode was us doing our um spinoffs with guests. That's right. Yeah, we kind of did like a divide and conquer. And we each got a, a bunch of apps done and produced and um in, in the can in some <laughs> some form. Yeah. So yeah, it, it was very productive. But yeah, it is. It's nice to be back Definitely. recording again here. And uh, it's a uh, it's like late. I guess it's like late fall is what it feels like out here. Yeah. Post Halloween um, election mm-hmm. day. Mm. <laughs> yep. Man. So how have you been, man? What's been going on? I'm good, man. It's been it's been a fun uh, couple weeks. I think uh, the big news was uh, I got my EP out. Yes, um, I listened to it. So yeah, so I've been making music finally again, and uh, I put out a three song EP under the artist named Positron. It's kind of like it was like the old name of my computer uh, <laughs> back when I like I first got my computer in like 2007, and so whenever I made music out of that, it was called Positron. Nice. And, um, but yeah, I haven't made music since about 2010 ish. And wow, so it was cool. Over it's a cool. decade. Yeah. yeah. It's been a while. So yeah, it's out on Spotify and, um, Apple music. It's called lost in map city. And that was really exciting to kind of get done. And that's kind of the big, big news of what I'm up to. How are you doing? All right. Yeah, I'm doing well, you know, um, uh, recovering from, I guess, uh, this is the start of, really the holidays for me you know halloween october <laughs> and october was a crazy month i mean just the recording an episode like every you know almost every week was just insane <laughs> yeah um and then you know um we also had like technical difficulties on every episode that i recorded <laughs> uh because i was testing a new mic uh ended up having an episode that's basically going to be a patreon episode um with Brandon because of all the technical difficulties we had with that mic. Well, it was the first time I was using the mic. Yeah. And then uh, I guess our listeners must have noticed with our Over the Garden Wall episode, there was like a weird echo <laughs> when I was yeah, uh, talking. I tried with Kay. my best to kind of to cut it out, you know, for yeah. most of it. But yeah. Yeah. It's I, I mean, the, I, it's in there at times. Yeah. I definitely listened to it for, um, for just the technical aspect. I couldn't listen to myself obviously for very long, but <laughs> you know, you definitely removed my omniscient, uh, voice. I sounded less like a God. Yeah. Um, you almost, initially. yeah. You almost kind of sounded like the beast. Yeah. Oh yeah. Actually, that's a good point. Oh man. <laughs> so you watched over the garden wall. I did. Uh, yeah, I, I wanted to bring it up. I'm, Okay, so uh, should I was, we just get uh, into um, I was quick ignorant cuts? to it. Yeah, let yeah, let's go ahead and get into quick cuts for for, for a little bit here. Quick cuts. There we go. That's loud. Um, <laughs> so um, yeah, over the garden wall. I had never even heard of it until the episode you did with Kay, and I was pleasantly surprised. Me and my wife, we watched it. We watched all ten. Nice. Really enjoyed it. We were trying to debate whether the kids are ready for it. I think the older one could definitely handle it, but the younger yeah. one, I think, would be scared of all the scary <laughs> scenes. But, um, yeah. man, it's good. And ultimately, Greg, uh, the character, he's he totally reminds me of my youngest. Like My youngest has that same level of joy 
and and kind of not knowing they're being funny they're just being like in the moment and honest (laughs) and playing and like she has that nice yeah really cool yeah so eventually when she's uh age appropriate Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah i mean that's the funny thing too the whole uh brought it up the they're gonna go to the graveyard and um have some age appropriate (laughs) drinks yeah and Wirt is like, uh, like juice. <laughs> like, um, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's so wholesome. Oh man. Yeah, yeah. it's wholesome, and it's but it's also the, rich. You know, like they yeah. put a lot in it, and it was it was fun to kind of once you finish it to go back and watch those opening scenes. You know, where they showed the vignettes of all the characters, and to right. kind of get who they all were. And you kind of realize, you know, in the I think in the first set of vignettes before episode one, it's in order of the episodes, you know. So it's like it's like a, a scene from episode one, a scene from episode two, and, and so on. Yeah, it's like a foreshadowing. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm glad you enjoyed it, um, yeah. and you know, it could be good family fun. And actually, shout out to Jacob, mm. um, who's now a guest of ours. The episode is on its way. It's probably gonna. Uh, come before this episode actually mm-hmm. um uh because he also sent me like a very enthusiastic text about like see- watching the show for the first time oh, and i'm okay. like yeah it's great because i mean you know i obviously don't have kids mm-hmm. so for you guys to be able to share it with your kids is like mm-hmm. great you know um yeah. i really think you and jacob should be on the same episode like you sure. know the next time he comes back yeah it just hasn't um, lined up but yeah that, that yeah good. two la dads Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah, a good so, show. Too. Yeah, <laughs> it totally would be. Yeah, I mean, uh, you haven't heard our episode yet, but once you do, man, like, you'll, okay. you'll, you'll be able to relate. So Okay, awesome. Uh, um, but, yeah. So, well, well speaking of addendums, um, I feel like, you, so the episode you missed, me and Kai Parker, we talked about time crimes. Yes. Did you have any thoughts or addendums that you wanted to add in? And oh yeah to that discussion <laughs> absolutely actually the funny thing is with the jacob episode i asked him that i was like uh do you want to hear my thoughts on time crimes oh, and good. you know what he told me he said i want to hear you discuss it with steve so <laughs> Ooh. okay so there we go Very smart. all right um yeah so time crimes yeah i i watched it but yeah um somehow like the schedules just didn't align um for us mm-hmm. to to be able to record and for me to be on the episode, I was just there as a producer, Great uh, job, silent partner. Yeah, thank you. Amazing. <laughs> that one, that was the one that didn't have any technical issues. So, exactly. Yeah. You know how how is that possible? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, you know, but if I'm on it, maybe I I'm just terrible at multitasking. You know, I can't mm, record. Yeah, with me uh, being there as the voice, but yeah, I mean, I uh, I also just want to respond to um, to Kai with the refin thing. <laughs> So he basically mentioned that, uh, like, when I was like doing my Carlos Cannon, oh right, yeah, that I didn't mention the Pusher movies, um, and the reason for that is actually I haven't seen any of them, but I am oh. aware that that's how he he started. That you know, um, uh, mm-hmm. he he actually the the funny story is he only made one Pusher movie, and um. He had to go back and make sequels to it because he went bankrupt. <laughs> oh, my God. So that was the main thing. It was never intended to originally be a trilogy. Mm. Um, but, yeah, like, I think he um, he he had made this film, which he, he still kind of disowns, but it's actually very good. It's called Fear X. 
with John Turturro. And uh, yeah, it bankrupted him. Like the the movie just didn't make any money. It was a flop. Um, and so he had to go back to Denmark and make um, mm. another Pusher movie. <laughs> just so... Wow. It's a moneymaker, um, huh? Yeah. And the Pusher movies are also actually very different from the style that people know him for. Actually, Fear X is closer to what he's known for because it's like this kind of slow kind of... Um, makes use of neon lights you know it's very meditative like uh, the mm-hmm. the pusher movies i mean I, i've tried watching the first one like the opening few scenes and um uh yeah they're they're done more like handheld documentary style like you know in your face kind of which is not what refin is known for now oh, okay. so yeah but i'm definitely I'm, i'll get into it eventually um also because uh, the second one focuses on mads mickelson's character and you know i love mads mickelson so yeah um, so yeah, that's why I didn't mention the Pusher movies. Maybe that's I a series that we can cover in season two. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah, cool. I mean, I, I would be down to do a Refn just like overall yeah. episode because um, he also has a Netflix show that's coming up, um, uh, Copenhagen Cowboy. Mm. So that's coming out in December. So I'm excited for that. I mean, the trailer looks sick. Um, cool. Yeah, uh, but yeah, time crimes. So time crimes. Um, time crimes. Yeah, let me. Also, just uh, do a preamble about my history with this movie. So I actually had an opportunity to see it when it originally came out uh, at the L.A. Film Festival. And I think that was the first L.A. Film Festival I went to. It was like 2007. Seven, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I think it, it got its uh, initial um, like L.A. premiere um, at that festival. And um, yeah, the director was there, Nacho Vigilando, and the um, the actress um, Barbara Goenaga. Uh, oh, cool. I, I, yeah, I don't know if um, what's the name of the main character again? Hector. Hector. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if he was there. I don't remember because I, I was I was mesmerized by Barbara Goenaga. Like even Very in person. Steady. Yes. Yeah, she was. Oh man, and I remember these. This was still like MySpace days. Like I added her on MySpace, like we're oh, yeah. MySpace friends. <laughs> Hell yeah! <laughs> like her and um, Anna de la Riguera, I think. Like they were like the kind of hot like uh, Spanish actresses of that time. Oh, uh, cool. Yeah, because Anna de la Riguera was in um, uh, Nacho Libre. <laughs> she was the oh, nun. Yeah. yeah, but Barbara Goenaga, you know, she didn't. Re- nothing really happened with her career after that. But yeah, I just remember at that time I was like, damn, you know. Uh, so, so yeah, she's a MySpace friend, but I never watched a movie. Like I, I remember seeing the trailer and like, yeah, this, this looks interesting. And you know, time travel is my jam. So, uh, but yeah, I never got around to seeing it. Oh, and also just as an aside, I've also seen Triangle, which also is Mm. like a, a time travel-y type movie. And I think Kai mentioned that. Yeah, Yeah. there, there's an aspect of it. Uh, but yeah, I'll reserve my thoughts when we get to that episode. Um, but yeah, it, for some reason I never got around to it, and I, I guess I must have read some sort of review that was just saying that it was like mediocre or whatever, and that just put me off. And I was like, yeah, mm-hmm. you know. So I just put it off until like, yeah, this opportunity came to yeah. to watch it again, and you know, it's just like, uh, there's a lot of elements in it that would be my jam in terms of the time travel and that it's small scale. Yeah. Um, but yeah, when I I watched it. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, it it has a fundamental flaw, and um, uh, Kai actually brings it up, which is basically you know when you do something that's uh, 
you know, a looping time travel thing where it seems like, you know, the, the character is destined to repeat something or like things happen, have, have to happen in a certain way for it to get to that point. Um, you have to have the inciting incident. Like what was the thing that basically got it rolling? And that part makes no sense in the movie. You know? It's mm-hmm. like a big gaping hole in the movie because it's just like you you don't know how that whole thing started. Like, you know, the the whole thing of him seeing her naked uh with the with the binoculars. Because right. she wouldn't be there unless the previous Hector was there. It's like it had to start somewhere. Like it it didn't really think through what the starting point is, you know, of of how this whole thing. You're just like in it, you know, and it's a big flaw of the movie, I feel. Um, yeah. That's a yeah. good point. Yeah, like I actually went and I listened to a podcast that Nacho Vigolando did mm-hmm. recently. Um, he was talking about the movie and he was saying – that if you do the the movie chronologically, the the first thing, the first scene would be when El Hovan, the yeah. uh, the uh, grad student technician guy, it would be him turning the machine on and two Hectors come out. Oh, but yeah, then where do those two Hectors come from, though? Exactly. So yeah. it's like, <laughs> it's like it's, it sounds like he didn't think about that. Like he just like it sounds almost like he thought that that was a cool idea, but then mm. ultimately, it leads to your question of, but th- but it's not a great starting explanation. Yeah, and I mean you know if you look at the best time travel movies, they know how to close that loop. You know like mm-hmm. there's something in it, uh, where it's like you know how it started and then you know the loop just continues and mm-hmm. you know i mean i guess that's the the tension in a lot of time travel movies is if they are looping back like how do they break that loop mm-hmm. and actually i'd like to recommend a recent time travel movie i saw uh which handles it very well and it, it it's kind of a romantic movie too it's uh it's called the infinite man mm-hmm. okay and yeah it's about like a guy who's trying to get his relationship right so there's a groundhog day aspect of it too of just like <laughs> going through it again and like you know trying not to to get your partner angry <laughs> just yeah you know all That's those good. things like trying to get yeah. things right and i think that one did it better because you know the 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 starting incident which is also great i like this idea of a location being timeless you know and like uh there may be like random strangers in the location but mostly it's empty which I think Times Crimes has too, you know, it's like this weird house in the middle of nowhere with a campus, you know, like he lives yeah. near a campus. But in um in The Infinite Man it's set in a in a motel. And what makes it even more confusing sometimes is because all the motel rooms look alike. You know? <laughs> so he's traveling from one room to another and you don't know which loop it's on, you know. <laughs> oh cool. Um because yeah. yeah, I mean that's always the thing that you risk with time travel as a genre, obviously, is the the confusion. Like, you know, the most confusing of them all is probably Primer. Like, only, I think, uh, super high IQ people <laughs> can can say they watch Primer and, like, totally understand it, you know? Um, and, yeah, I, I think we're also spoiled by something like that because Primer was, what, 2004? And, mm-hmm. yeah, it just really set the bar high for low-budget time travel movies. Um and uh yeah i i just didn't feel like because of that flaw like that was definitely that affected my my whole mm-hmm. viewing 
of of time crimes yeah yeah it's fair i get it it's like um it feels like a really good first movie you know for nacho it seems like very indie like I, you know, um, no, I notice like in any scene, you only see two people in in a frame, right? You know, like um, it just has all the makings of of kind of being not low budget, but just you know, kind of a first time filmmaker, yeah. Sort of, you know, good attempt at a movie, right? And he's related into a successful career. Like actually, there's a movie he made with Anne Hathaway. I want to see, which is um co- called Colossal. Where it's about it's a kaiju movie set in Korea, and cool. yeah, and like you know, I think I haven't, uh, I don't know exactly what the premise is, which is part of the joy I think of discovering it. It's on HBO Max right now, but um, from the poster, it kind of implies that Anne Hathaway is the kaiju. So, <laughs> you know, it's like a, a Pacific Rim. Uh, what what do they call it in Pacific Rim? Are we drift compatible? Like, yeah, man, I should use that as a pickup line more. <laughs> if they yeah, know it, good. oh man, that's a keeper. But uh, yeah, so so it's almost <laughs> like you know she the way she moves the the kaiju moves similarly cool. to how she does. Um, okay. So yeah, he made that movie. So I'm like, yeah, I should I should see this, and I'm I'm kind of bummed I missed that on the big screen because it kind of it came out around the same time as as Pacific Rim, the first one too well it's got so. jason sudeikis too oh yeah and i love him and you know i guess a lot of people do with ted lasso sure um well cool but yeah and also just time travel because i guess i hold the genre so near and dear um what do you think uh steve is the greatest time travel movie of all time <laughs> god I, yeah i i struggle with with, with this one because like they don't populate to me as like it's not my favorite genre to watch um, but like recently, like I really liked Palm Springs for, for what it was. Yeah. I so I was just thinking the, about Palm Springs. Holy yeah, shit. Like, yeah. but, like it was just really enjoyable and fun. It was. Yeah, for sure. And then, you know, I got back to the future too. I remember really liking that one. Yeah. That's my favorite um, back to the future. Yeah. yeah. Oh man. Yeah. Palm Springs. Very underrated. I never hear anybody talk about that movie. Um, well, I, I, I remember the scuttlebutt on Twitter when it came out was, oh, this is just derivative of, you know, Groundhog, Groundhog Day. Day or whatever. <laughs> but I was like, yeah, but it's it's fun. It's good. Yeah, yeah it has a charm all its own. I mean, yeah. I love the two leads, you know, Andy Samberg and yeah. Kristen Milioti. So, you know, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think it was very underrated. I mean, you know, it went directly to Hulu. It was a pandemic movie, you know. Cool. During yeah. the time that we couldn't go to the theaters, so that yeah, was and like... then it was something like y- you learn that Andy Samberg's character has been in the loop for like decades yeah. or s- something, <laughs> right? Right. Oh yeah. Spoiler awesome. alert for people who haven't seen it, but uh, but yeah, um, no, yeah, uh, I I was gonna mention Palm Springs too. Yeah, I think it, that's a good example. Um, and yeah, I mean time time travel is just hard to pull off you know that's really the thing because you yeah you need to kind of plot it out like i've seen like infographics of of how time travel is done through Mm -hmm. different movies you know and it's great like especially yeah that's the most concise explanation of primer i've seen which is like because it's just so hard to parse it in the movie itself yeah uh but yeah there there is actually like a graphic and you know i'm i'm fascinated actually that's an ep um maybe an episode in itself that i want to do which is that um 
it uh it's like non-traditional time travel movies like they just have weird like fractured time so an mm-hmm. example of that would be um, a movie called bad timing by nicholas rogue and a lot of nicholas rogue's movies are actually like fractured time movies and you know you could say that they're time travel movies and you know obviously um uh christopher nolan as well has a time aspect to his films you know even if it's not directly time travel mm-hmm. um uh yeah and that, that's why people thought tenet was a time travel movie and they were confused by it i mean mm-hmm. actually you know tenet i saw that in the theater like i drove all the way down to san diego to see it <laughs> because that was the closest theater to me that was open yeah. <laughs> um at that time because yeah, they released it september 2021 <laughs> when everything was still closed and um and yeah, it was great. Uh, um, but yeah, I I watched it again like this year, uh, a rewatch, and it was even more confusing the second oh, wow. time around. Yeah. Wow. So uh, yeah, I think I I got too like you know I was just like trying to keep track of like oh, what's this and yeah, it just it confused me too much, and I was just like okay, I'm I'm just gonna enjoy this for the spectacle, yeah, and not think about it. Um. But yeah, to me, actually, the the greatest time travel movie of all time, which actually satisfies both like that weird fractured time aspect and it's an actual time travel movie, is um, La Jetée, um by Chris Marker. It's a it's a short film. It's only half an hour, um, yeah. and it's told all through still photos, like, <laughs> and it's incredible. Like it's a it's a time travel movie, and it was remade into a major movie. Which you've heard of, which is um, Twelve Monkeys, so it's the same premise as Twelve Monkeys. Oh, okay. Yeah, uh, I but... definitely have seen that. I don't remember the plot though. I'll have to like. Oh, I mean the the loop aspect of 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 La Jetée and and Twelve Monkeys is just fantastic. Like that's one of my favorite um, takes on on the time travel loop. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, because yeah, it just changes the yeah everything that you've seen. Um, before that comes before the the climax of the movie, you know, right, okay. um, and you know, great performance by Brad Pitt. I think that was his first performance where he got nominated for an Oscar. So and he did it the same year as Seven. So Whoa, yeah, yeah ninety five. Yep, Terry Gilliam was the director. <laughs> yes, yeah, I, and cool. I, I would say that's probably like Terry Gilliam's last like big movie you know after that mm-hmm. like all his movies have kind of just flown on the radar i mean you know he had that uh, disastrous don quixote movie that never well if he finally got to make it but uh i i don't think it, it was what he initially wanted yeah um and yeah he's just kind of uh persona non grata in hollywood in a way you know um but yeah la jete and 12 monkeys fantastic okay. like yeah time travel in terms of time travel, yeah, definitely revisit Twelve Monkeys again, and yeah, I'll 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 find a link for you um for La Jete. I think it might Perfect. be on the Criterion channel. I'll I'll let you okay. know. Um, yeah. So time right. crimes, time crimes. Yeah, good to get it in. Um, yeah. So yeah, what else? What else have you seen, man? Um, oh, well, oh, uh, no, go are we going to talk about Halloween? Yes, but uh, before we do. I just want to say before we record this episode, I watched a trailer. Oh yeah, <laughs> we never talk about trailers on this show. Yeah, but I had to mention this. So A twenty four dropped the trailer for The Whale. Uh, have you heard of this movie, Steve? I just saw it on IMDb's homepage. Yeah, you, you, and you watched the trailer? 
No, I just see okay. I just see the thumbnail of uh, okay. Brendan Fraser looking all fat. Yeah. <laughs> so um, yeah, it's not like a you know a sensational game breaking trailer, but I guess because of the anticipation for the movie, and you know the the whole Brendan Fraser renaissance, uh, which mm-hmm. I'm loving right now. You know, um, <laughs> yeah, it, it it carries literal weight with it. Um and uh I yeah I'm really excited for this movie and the trailer man it's just um I mean how it starts and how it ends I like how it builds up like you know it's it's a very short trailer mm-hmm. and uh, I came away from it basically feeling oh man is this movie going to make me cry Yeah <laughs> that's 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 my takeaway That's kind of um, good yeah like yeah. what kind of movies make you cry um, I mean, uh, I guess, yeah, Kay and I talked about this a little bit in, in the Over the Garden Wall episode, because Over the Garden Wall made me cry, you know, mm-hmm. um, I, I, it's hard, like, because uh, there's nothing consistent through them, like, I, mm-hmm. I guess I mentioned, like, Paris, Texas made me cry, um, there's a documentary called Nostalgia for the Light, and that also made me cry, mm-hmm. and there's another documentary called Streetwise, uh-huh. And I don't see like a through line with any of them. I guess it's just the emotion just hits, you know. Yeah. <laughs> there's something about it that they're able to do it, but you know, there's nothing in common. Because Streetwise is about like homeless kids in Seattle, mm-hmm. um, yeah. and Paris, Texas is about like a relationship that like fell apart and will never probably yeah ever uh, come back together, you know. Totally. And the heartbreak from that, and then nostalgia for the light, like that's just. I I mean the part that really broke my heart in in nostalgia for the light is um because uh it's about the the repercussions of the Pinochet dictatorship in um in Chile, but mm-hmm. it's also about like uh you know the Atacama Desert, which is the driest desert in the world, so it's perfect for um for having an observatory. So mm-hmm. there's this whole thing of like you know them looking out to the sky. And, you know, looking at the stars and the galaxy and the universe. Um, But then there's all these women who are out there in the desert. And they're, instead of looking up to the sky, they're going downwards into the ground. And the reason being is that they had, like, a a concentration camp out there. And Mm. they threw, like, the remains of all the people that they killed. And they were usually, like, these women's, like, husbands or their brothers or, you know, their fathers. And they're just looking for the remains of um of their relatives, you know, to to like yeah. just have some sort of closure instead of them like just being missing. Yeah. And yeah, that just really hit me. <laughs> you know, that yeah. was so That's yeah, with awful. This, yeah. So I don't know, with the whale, like it just feels like from from the little clips of Brendan per- Fraser's performance, like it just mm-hmm. it, he feels like he's there, you know, he's like totally yeah. present it feels like an engaged performance and not that he never was like that. You know, I mean, I, I've always thought he was good. Um, like actually I, I mentioned that in the, in our, our, uh, in the last episode with Brandon, I was watching the affair, uh, season mm-hmm. three and he's the best thing in it. <laughs> you know, wow. he's so good in, in the affair season three, which is a terrible season for the show. Like I, I, I was so put off by it. I don't even know if I want to keep going now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, bro, Brendan Fraser, man. Yeah. Yeah. He, he deserves all the good things that's happening to him now. Totally. You know? Yeah. Yeah. He's great. So, he's, so yeah, he's really good. Yeah. So like the, it's funny. The like the, I'm trying to think of like the things that make made me cry. Like for some reason, the thing, the, the thing that always pops in my mind is 
the end of the movie Major League when oh. um <laughs> when uh I think yeah, Corbin Burnson's character drops the bunt and Willie Mays Hayes is stealing home or he, or he's rounding third and he's coming home. There's something about the music, the slow-mo, the the tension and the slide that for some reason it brings me to tears. Like just the oh, way man. it's like done. I think yeah. I'm also a baseball fan. There's something about the drama right. of it that it's just like I can't. It's like it's very bizarre. Like I decide, like I want to cry like every time. Man, you know I've never seen Major League too, so I uh, yeah, like I yeah. But you mm-hmm. describing that scene, I'm like, okay, I gotta see it now. Yeah, it's you know you know it's it's like a dumb comedy, but then at the, for some <laughs> reason at that moment I'm like, wow, they nailed this moment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and then yeah, Marley and me. I, th- I think I, I think I cried during Marley and wow. when the dog dies. Yeah, that yeah. that kind of stuff. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I still haven't seen Marley and Me, and probably yeah. because of that aspect. It's kind of reg- I kind of forget. Like I kind mm-hmm. of don't remember anything about the movie except that that the dog dies. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> That's a major one. Yeah. All right. So yeah, The Whale, we'll probably do an episode on that. I mean, for sure, Brandon's going to be back because that's that's one of his most anticipated movies of the year, along with Mm -hmm. um, The Master Gardener. I mean, who knows? I think they might even come out around the same time. We'll see. Uh, December's looking pretty stacked for movies. Yeah. So I mean, even November this year, um, we'll see. Um, So yeah, you wanted to get into Halloween. So Halloween just wrapped up the actual holiday um and there was a new Halloween movie uh completing the David Gordon Green uh Danny McBride trilogy trilogy yeah um, which is which i guess are, they're sequels to the original 1978 and they kind of wipe away all the other sequels all right so um, yeah bring me up to speed um cuz i haven't seen uh okay. the first one and Halloween Kills so how okay. did they continue um, from the 1978 original? Right. So the way they continue. Um, so if you've never seen Halloween 2 and you've never seen any of the other Halloweens, it's kind of good. Yeah. Because um, the, the issues with those ones were, I think in, in the original Halloween 2, they created a storyline where Michael Myers and Laurie Strode are siblings. Right. And then that kind of that kind of made things kind of more difficult um i think later in later movies and then also it somehow made it less scary like kind of what's scary about michael myers is you don't know why he's doing it there's really no motive right he's just stalking and so um in halloween 2018 it's just the 40th it's just um it's just 40 years later after halloween 78 um Basically, after the murders, he was captured by the police and sent to an institution where he's just been chilling in silence for 40 years. And there's a bus transfer, again, similar to Halloween 78. There's a crash. He gets out. He comes back into the Haddonfield. And so that's that's the Halloween 2018. Yeah. Is essentially almost it's a, you know, if you saw if. Oh, yeah. Well, we saw Scream 5. Right and and they talk so much about the requel, yeah. About some something that it's not it's it's a it's a sequel, but it's a yeah. But you know, but you're going back, right? Yeah, and and actually, it's funny you bring that up because I felt like Halloween ends 
was like the bookend to you know starting the year with Scream Five, and mm-hmm. <laughs> Halloween ends like there, there there's some similarities in spirit. Yeah, I mean obviously the original Scream was too like it was a big tribute to the original Halloween. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, huge, huge. Um, mm-hmm. and so Halloween Kills is the second movie, and it continue it, in the in the the movies in the movie timeline. It's the same night as Halloween 2018, um, and just Michael is just running a, a. It's almost like a Friday the Thirteenth movie in Halloween. Like Michael is just like getting after it, just body count, just yeah. just killing <laughs> very fantastical kills, yeah. kind of you yeah, know not even... terrifier esque, you right. know, like not that wild and fun, but certainly more of like what you would expect Jason Voorhees, you know, just like just chopping people up, having su- superhuman strength, kind of all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. Yeah. I mean, there's even like kind of a karate kid, like montage at the beginning of Halloween ends where you see mm-hmm. some of the kills. Like the funniest one was the, the door slamming yeah. into the, the car door <laughs> slamming into yeah. that girl's head. And just shooting yeah, herself. exactly. Exactly. Oh all that kind yeah. of stuff. Um, yeah. and so, um, but then so yeah so that kind of leads us to Halloween ends which I guess is set seemed like maybe three years after Halloween 2018 and, and, mm-hmm. and Halloween kills you know like like some time had passed yeah um and yeah so ultimately yeah what did you kind of think of this movie because you know there's a lot of kind of nerdy aspects to it you know how they right. They made twenty Halloween twenty eighteen. The font and the style is very similar to Halloween seventy eight. Halloween Kills, the font, the opening scene, the opening credits, and the font are similar to Halloween two. And this movie, Halloween Ends, everything's similar to Halloween Season of the Witch. Right, which is just a weird thing. I mean, I I like the idea that they uh they had planned this, you know, like, cause obviously the, these movies are years apart from each other. Like, I guess yeah. to complete the trilogy, it took four years. Um, uh, but it's strange because, uh, it, it's almost ironic in a way that they had this title card be, uh, Halloween three, because this was, um, and J- uh, Jacob and I talk about this a little bit because we both watch Halloween three, mm-hmm. uh, season of the witch and, uh, Carpenter's original, you know, intention was for Michael Myers to die. Like he wasn't supposed to like continue being in the movie movies. Like he wanted the franchise to basically be a, a totally different story. And that's what Halloween three is. Yeah. Uh, shout out to Jade, by the way, former guest and friend of the show, uh, Jade Lindley, who, who <laughs> loves Halloween three, uh, because nice. yeah, it's so non-canon. There's no Michael Myers in it. And, um, Obviously, with this one, with Halloween Ends, it's the third one of of this trilogy, but it's not a story that deviates from the Michael Myers story. It's still about Laurie Strode and and Michael Mm -hmm. Myers. So uh, I like that they were trying to recall the previous movies, but it doesn't make any logical sense that they would have the title card match 3 because 3 was the one that deviates from the rest of... (laughs) of the yeah. the movies, you know, well, just not yeah, the series in general. Yeah, it felt like, you know, with with the Corey Cunningham storyline, they were making some attempt to deviate mm. and to make it not be about Michael Myers. Right. But they also wanted it to be about Michael Myers. Yeah. So it they were kind of caught in this weird 
yeah, this weird zone of trying to do both. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and Michael Myers is barely in it. Like he doesn't even show up until like half an hour into the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, I will say this. So like, um, I, it was it was really funny to just see this horror movie that still felt like a David Gordon Green movie. And, you know, most people know David Gordon Green as, like, this director of stupid comedies, you know, like Pineapple Express and Your Highness. And, you know, he's directed episodes of um, Eastbound and Down and uh, mm-hmm. um, uh, what's the new show that Danny McBride is in that I really like, um, uh, Righteous Gemstones. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I know David Gordon Green best. You know, he's from North Carolina, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. yeah, he, uh, he did like these movies that were just small town kind of, uh, I mean, you know, his, his debut film was George Washington, which is about like these kids, um, and like uh, an accident that happens, but it's, it's more like impressionistic. Like he was compared more to Terrence Malick at the beginning of his career. Whereas now, you know, he's known for doing, you know, this horror a franchise mm-hmm. and, uh, the stupid comedies, but, um, yeah, it, it was actually two uh, two of his later films. Um, his second movie, All the Real Girls, and um, uh, the one he did with Sam Rockwell and Kate Beckinsale, um, uh, Snow Angels. Like those two movies actually reminded me more of Halloween Ends than <laughs> anything else he had done. And the reason being is because the central romance between Corey Cunningham and I forgot the name of the the um, the granddaughters character what's her name al maybe allison yeah but um her um the actress who i, I have a major Mad- crush on by the Maticek. way maticek yeah oh, andy yeah. maticek uh yeah i have a huge crush on her uh um, oh, yeah yeah so the the romance between the two of them was like quintessential david gordon green like that's what it was with um i forgot the name of the actor who plays the lead in all the real girls but he has a romance with with Zoe Deschanel, and then in uh, Snow Angels, it's Olivia Thrillby, who I also have a big crush on, uh, and uh, I forgot the guy's name, but yeah, it's just that small town romance, like that whole interlude of the movie is the best part, I think, right. of Halloween Kills. It has nothing to do with Michael Myers or gore or killings. It's just like that that whole thing where they're they're kind of falling for each other. Like David Gordon Green just does it so well. And I'm glad, mm-hmm. like, even despite him doing these stupid comedies and everything, which I'm also, like, I enjoy Pineapple Express and Your Highness, but, you know, they're not as good as, you know, all the real girls. Um, uh, yeah, he he still hasn't lost that touch, you know. And, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I would love to see him kind of do that again. Just, like, go back to, like, make something that's genuinely just sweet and lyrical, you know. Um, and, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, or even just them making, I think, uh, a, an original horror movie like him and Danny McBride just mm-hmm. going because you know they didn't write the script themselves. Like there were other co-writers on it, and it's this weird thing that I actually learned from from the whole uh, screenwriting credit uh, issue with Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. So there's this whole thing about like um, they're very specific about the ends in the names. Mm-hmm. So if your name is like and like spelled out A and D with somebody. That means you co-wrote the script with somebody. Uh, but then if it's like two people that are ands, and then there's another and which is the ampersand mm-hmm. and, that means you didn't write it with that person, but you're like building off the script that those two other people wrote. Oh, 
So that's what happened. So there was the um the script that was basically uh written by uh I don't want to uh, flub it. Uh so Halloween ends it was written by originally um Paul Brad Logan okay. and um Chris Bernier and then um and then yeah, Danny McBride and Gordon, David Gordon Green. So I don't think they all wrote the script together like all four of them i think like paul brad logan and chris bernier wrote the the script and then danny mcbride and david gordon green added to it so you can still see like how stupid the original script was like i I just feel like it was terrible like there's some lines of dialogue in this movie that are just flat out bad yeah (laughs) especially when it's like the bullies you know the characters yeah yeah Those high school bullies, that part didn't, like, make sense. No. Like, why they were still bullying Corey. Yeah, because they like, wouldn't get him a, buy him a beer. Or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, significant time had passed. And it's like, didn't they just grow up, like, <laughs> like go to yeah. college or some shit? Like, um, yeah, yeah, but when they do get their comeuppance, it is very satisfying. <laughs> um, right. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, it was just like... um. Once it, it it you know it got out of the the whole romance aspect of it. There's a there's even like a rom com aspect of it actually in terms of like there's a misunderstanding and that leads to to the two of them separating, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> like that kind of thing. And then you'd think that you know if it was a rom com they'd just get back together in the end and live happily ever after. Uh, but obviously that that wasn't. It's a Halloween movie. You can't have it that, go that way. But yeah, as you were saying with the Corey Cunningham storyline it was kind of moving towards him more him doing the killings than than michael myers and people thinking that it's michael myers and like i kind of i don't know like i think a lot of people have a problem with that but i kind of appreciated they were trying something yeah you know like similar to halloween 3 trying something new like they were trying something new here and trying to like you know, expand the universe outside of just Michael Myers. Cause it's like, you can't just keep making the same Michael Myers movie over and over. Yeah. Um, and so I kind of appreciate, you know, it was, it, it was kind of like, Hey, thanks for the effort. It maybe didn't land great, but right. You know, I definitely appreciated that it was different. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you know, there could have been an opportunity there, but I, I totally understand, you know, at this point, in his career, David Gordon Green has to yeah. play a game. You know, I mean, you know, it's it's the only way that he can probably get his his stuff made is if he fall he plays by the rules. You know, because if you do something where it's like totally different or you deviate from uh, the assignment, you know, you could get fired and just replaced with another director. Yeah. So like, yeah. I, but I like the aspects of of him trying to insert. Uh, the small town aspect and you know because even the mm-hmm. the scene with um yeah that's another scene that i liked was um when when uh lori uh encounters will Patton in the grocery and they're kind of flirting yeah. that was nice you know that was cute yeah yeah, yeah. and yeah, that's that's one of the things that david gordon green does very well you know i mean i mm-hmm. i would say for people who like those scenes in this movie like yeah go see his earlier stuff like watch yeah. um all the real girls and and snow angels because um yeah, Snow Angels was actually the movie where it started to turn because Snow Angels also kind of has like a violent aspect to it, which is surprising. Uh, but yeah, the romance in Snow Angels is is fantastic. Um, what did you think of the scene where Corey he goes to um, 
Jamie Lee Curtis's house and she kind of sees him outside and she's like a little worried because he's yeah. standing kind of similar to Michael. Right. And so she goes outside and she doesn't see him. And then he's like right behind her. Hmm. Do you remember that part where he's like, uh, she goes outside and she's looking for Corey and, and the way it, he's, he's at the actor is actually is hiding directly behind her. And he just like steps out. <laughs> Do you remember that? I <laughs> uh, know that, that's some okay. weird thing. I don't remember that part. Okay. Well, that part because... like like jarred me as just yeah. like 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 that would not be in a John Carpenter yeah movie, but it totally somehow it it, it, it almost feels like a like a scream moment. Mm. Like that was like something out of the movie out of Scream. Yeah. Um, in this movie, <laughs> right? But, um, uh, yeah, I didn't even remember that. Um, okay. I guess because at that point the the good faith of, of the romantic parts of the movie was long gone or waning so, yeah <laughs> yeah and it yeah. was just yeah it was a gore fest uh, towards the end um yeah and a couple, like uh, a couple good kills you know yeah. when when Corey kills the dj that was pretty, oh yeah <laughs> that, that was pretty good yeah um oh man i'm trying to think what else yeah um, i mean the strodes were so op like the way they kill michael myers like you know it's like they yeah. pin him down on the the kitchen island and yeah um the granddaughter breaks his arm well i guess you know she knows how to break yeah. arms because she's she works in the hospital yeah <laughs> that was um, amazing yeah yeah <laughs> And then, yeah, yeah, slices his throat, then also slices his artery through his arm, like all these yeah. things that uh, they so have to do. So many things. And then they put him yep. through a grinder. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, that was fantastic. Oh, shit, yeah. I have to say. Like the, the whole town gathering around uh-huh. to watch the public execution yeah, of Michael Myers in the – is it like a stone grinder or something? Like they really yeah. have to make sure – that he's he's gone. Like the body is just completely destroyed. Like he's yeah. there's no way he's gonna come back from this. <laughs> yeah. 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 You know, it but you know, it's a little bit of um like I'm happy it's over. But yeah. you know, they but they also brought up more or the the movie kind of brings up more questions. Yeah. You know, like why was Michael just hanging out in the sewer? Like what it what it what <laughs> yeah. has he been doing the last three like does he have a goal? Right. Is he a, or or he went home and that was his goal and now he's just going to hang out for as long as he can. Like it's a little like what's happening. Yeah. But it's all it but I mean it's it's ultimately the trap of making sequels to the movie is like anytime you expand the storyline beyond 1978 it just makes it less interest or it makes it um more interesting to the people that like the mythology, I guess, but let but not as good of a movie anymore yeah you know yeah because you fall into that trap of basically like you can't just repeat what you did with the previous movie so in Mm -hmm. order to to move forward you need to elaborate you need to like go deeper but that was the beauty of the first one you know i mean it has one of the greatest opening scenes of any horror movie i ever Mm -hmm. seen like when i first saw you know that opening scene i was like terrified and you know the uh, John Carpenter's score is is brilliant, you know, and it, it's still yep. even with with this film, like I almost felt like it was it was cosplaying <laughs> using mm-hmm. the 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 theme song because you know it's mm-hmm. like that it just belongs in the original and yeah, you know, I was like oh yeah here we go again yeah. it's it's the because yeah I, I up until recently I haven't seen the third one like I would just add if you really like 
Halloween 1978, I would recommend the first one, Halloween 2018. Like that one okay. is like really, really close to, to 1978. Okay. Um, yeah. And I mean, um, I like yeah. Judy Greer a lot and I was, I was kind of disappointed that she's not in this one cause I didn't realize she died in the previous movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So yeah, I, I, I'll, I'll check it out. Um, yeah. Cool. And if it has like the David Gordon green elements in it, um, yeah, why not? But yeah. Yeah, it, it definitely has. Yeah, it had because um, the Allison character is in high school. Oh, so wow. So she, she, she has her like high school friends. Mm-hmm. They're a little, a couple of them are a little fratty, but a couple of them are, are a little more, you know, like they're not quite that 2000s high school character yeah. that was just like so obnoxious. Like they're, they're better than that. But um, there's still a slight element of that, that, that like overly clever dialogue. Mm. Um, which you know, if you go back to Halloween 1978, which what made it so cool was it felt like Lori and her friends were pretty, I don't know, like they weren't super clever with the dialogue. Yeah, it was just uh, you know, I mean, yeah, the, more natural. Right. The worst aspects of the script of Halloween Ends were the the voiceover parts where uh, Lori's writing her book. Oh my god, there were just so many like trite and cliche things in that book. I wish I wrote down some of the lines. <laughs> it's just so bad. And I was like, yeah. yeah, this this can't have been Danny McBride. <laughs> I mean, you know, I sent you that link to that the Twitter uh mm-hmm. clip where it was like Danny McBride wrote this script. <laughs> or did this yeah. part of the script where she has that line where it's like, you know, sometimes you just wanna take your titties out. <laughs> it's like what, what Yeah. <laughs> I forgot what yeah. the actual line is, but it's, it's like... along those lines. It's like really yeah. He just wanted Jamie Lee Curtis to say that line, you know what I mean? <laughs> and smash the pumpkin on the or whatever it is yeah. she's shopping up on the kitchen island. Oh exactly. man! <laughs> but yeah, um, yeah, that that's just it. It's just uh, I I think overall, again, you know, this is something I also brought up with the episode with Jacob is the, um, yeah, because Jacob is also a guy who who's not easily scared by horror movies. And I think that that's the aspect of it. It's like, I think I would definitely enjoy horror movies more if I was actually scared by them, you know? Um, this one so, this one was particularly not scary. Okay. Yeah. So that's good to know that, uh, you know, yeah. uh, that I'm not alone in that aspect. Yeah. yeah so it's a shame. It's like, uh, yeah, because uh, I think I hear that as a complaint from the horror movie community too is that they don't like it when non-horror directors direct horror movies, you know, because it just, um, yeah, to them, it, it's just them, like, they're out of their element, you know, because, yeah, horror directors are purely horror directors. They don't dabble in any other genre, you know, like the the ones that are really good. Like, I mean, you know, you could say John Carpenter is a horror director, but, yeah, I mean, he, he did dabble in some other genres, too. He's done comedies, but... Like uh, Toby Hooper, you know, mm-hmm. he he exclusively just made horror movies. Uh, I may be yeah. wrong. Somebody might correct me that. But from what I know, the Toby Hooper movies are horror movies. Some people might even say like, oh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre is a comedy. Um, <laughs> uh, two, the sequel with Dennis Hopper. Uh, I feel like horror movie fans like or ho- the horror community generally frowns upon like artistic directors making horror films. You know, they don't like it when when art house cover crosses over because you know, like uh, I think a lot of people hate that term, elevated horror. Um, but it seems yeah. like you know, the the way the tide is turning now, uh, 
it's like pure horror if, if that's even a term like just you know genuine horror directors are are kind of making a comeback and uh, they're making a lot of money which is well, what the next movie actually I wanted to bring up for um, in terms of like its initial budget versus how much it's made it's mm-hmm. become very profitable and People have been talking about this movie a lot because, you know, apparently people have been fainting and throwing up in theaters, which didn't happen at the screening that I I, I went to, which was very disappointing. Shoot. But um, there's this movie called Terrifier 2. Have you heard of oh, it, yeah. Steve? Oh, yeah. I've seen oh, the yeah. first one. I have not seen Terrifier 2. Okay. And tell me about the first one. Uh, how did you come across it and, like, uh, you know... How was it? Um, I I first came across it. Uh, I follow different horror accounts. I think it was either on Twitter or Instagram, and they would post, you know, like who are your favorite horror villains? And I kept seeing Art the Clown's picture mm. pop up, and then like short clips of him acting crazy. And I was just like, "What is this? I've never heard of Art." You know, you know, you know. It, it was kind of you know along the same lines of you know, you know, who would you pick, Freddie, Jason, or art and so it's kind of like well i know the <laughs> he others was, he was in that uh like uh tier ilk yeah, yeah. oh wow yeah you know okay. like again on these like horror accounts and so i was just kind of curious okay well what is this um and so i found the movie i found the clips it's you know it's the first one's very low low budget and um i don't really know what the what you know how it's shot but um you know, it's it's rough. It's definitely rough around the edges. But there's a couple just scenes that are really iconic, and um, the scenes where art, the, where the actor um, who also has a three name kind of yeah. name. What's what's the actor's name? Uh, I'm blanking now. Um, um, I'm thinking of. Um, oh yeah, David he, Hort. David David Howard Thornton. Oh yeah, what a name! Like so yeah, many hard consonants. He. Um, <laughs> His per, his um characterization of art is is like it's up there with Robert England to me. It's just like it's really well performed, yeah, and it's really scary the way the mannerisms, the makeup, right. And uh, in the first one, he's also like he doesn't say anything. It's like yeah, he's silent. He just kind yeah. of stalks these two girls on Halloween night. They're, they're mm-hmm. They go to like a Halloween party and they're hanging out in a diner after and he kind of shows up and starts spooking them out and then, you know, goes on a rampage. And there's a famous scene where he kind of, well, if, are, are you planning on seeing seeing it or no? Probably not. <laughs> okay. So, yeah. he, he the, the famous scene in the first Terrifier is he, he kidnaps one of the girls, hangs her upside down by her legs. Yeah. Like spread, you know, legs spread and cuts her in half vertically, like, you know, starting at the crotch. Oh, Um, man. And so it's just like, again, it's like it's in that half terrible kind of uh, almost like a psalm or almost like a hostile movie. But it's all practical and it's all it's it's also kind of like cartoonish and fun in a way. That it's like it's like it kind of makes it not as gruesome because you're like okay this is just kind of a low budget horror film they're just go, you know it's like they're just kind of going for the the gore and the and and the gag of it as yeah. opposed to making it really scary right but it's also it sticks in your head you remember it I remember <laughs> his performance I remember that scene 
So it's just like, in a way, it works in terms of making it uh, making a memorable horror movie that doesn't have a lot. There's not a lot there in terms of plot and writing and acting. Yeah. Um, <laughs> other than Art the Clown's performance, you know. Gotcha. Yeah, and uh, he he was even in a movie before Terrifier, right? Uh, I was Let's looking see. it up. It was called um, All Hallows Eve, um, and he's like the main bad guy in that as well. Okay. Um, but yeah, I haven't seen that. It's also directed by Damien Leone, who directed the original um, Terrifier and the sequel, which yeah has a six year gap, which is crazy. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, so the original one was in 2016 and now we have the sequel in 2022 Mm. and, um, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's been making crazy money. I mean, you know, on a quarter million budget, it's made like, it's getting close to 10 million, uh, which is good for them, you know, and, uh, considering, yeah, like, uh, I guess the effects were pretty good and uh, that's what I've been hearing from people who have seen both movies is they're saying that the first one was kind of like a proof of concept and then mm-hmm. Terrifier 2 was the one where he he actually realizes the movie that he wanted to make. Mm-hmm. And, oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah, and the whole thing was I guess, you know, with all the hype and stuff, um uh that definitely affected the way that I viewed the film because I was just yeah. like I was ready to like be disturbed and you know, and at, at a certain point, like in uh, actually one like opening scene, I thought, oh, wow, it may actually go there, you know, because mm-hmm. um, it actually shows somebody having diarrhea. <laughs> right. uh, you know, it's like blood and gore I can take, but anything that's like scat is yeah. like that. That's where I draw the line. That's where I'm really like, I got to leave. You know? Yeah, like I can even take vomiting. Like vomiting is fine, but when it's like scat, I'm like, oh god! Especially if you mix it with blood. Oh <laughs> my god! Yeah. yeah, that that's that's just gross. Um, yeah. But uh, but yeah, it didn't go there. Like it was just really just oh man. Like yeah, it's it's supremely gory. Like ev- almost every scene, somebody dies in <laughs> Terrifier too, and it's so long. Oh my god! It's like it it's over two hours. Like it's almost that's... two and a half. That's not good. Uh, yeah, and you can feel it. Like, and there's really bad acting in it. You know, as much as we will sing the praises yeah. for um, uh, for Art the Clown and uh, David Howard Thornton, um, uh, the actress who plays the mom in it is so bad. Like, she mm. she seems like she's like an actress out of a porn movie. Yeah, like the, the her that's how bad her performance is. And um, you know, uh, the the lead actress, uh, Lauren Lavera. Like, you know, she's very pretty. She's kind of like in the Mila Kunis uh, mm-hmm. mold. But actually, I think she's actually prettier than than Mila Kunis. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, she's good. You know, I, I liked her in it. Um, you know, she's very good as, like, a horror protagonist. Um, but, yeah, overall, like, uh, my main issue with the movie, aside from, like, you know, the, the gross-out factor, it's not really scary. Um, it's just that it's an inept like filmmaking movie like mm. the it like i i just don't feel like damon leon like understands how to like shoot things yeah. <laughs> like uh, you know i'm 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 not really an advocate for film grammar like i i do think like film grammar is mostly bullshit like you don't have to follow like you know the mm. um the 180 rule and all this other things but it just felt like it was just incompetently edited and shot 
like that yeah. even though you know it you know they had a better camera to shoot it with probably than the original um yeah it just like it was so clunky like the <laughs> the way yeah. that like one shot cuts to another and it wasn't done like you could you know i can tell when somebody's doing it purposefully and like it it feels like okay maybe they're experimenting with um with rhythms and stuff but it didn't feel like that it felt like it was just handled very ineptly and yeah. that that affected my viewing of the movie like i was just like yeah this is bad <laughs> uh, yeah <laughs> and it's not bad in a good way <laughs> um, yeah it's a yeah. it's it's a movie that you that like you want to be in on early otherwise it's just it's not going to be fun cuz it's like right you kind of have to be dipped baptized in the vibe <laughs> to enjoy it you know what i mean right uh yeah, i like that term baptized in the vibe yeah for sure <laughs> um, and the whole thing is like okay so i, I some people who've been listening to us for a while now know mm. that i i tend to watch movies high uh and that 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 tends to improve the movie you know but like yeah. i watched a couple of movies this one and then i also saw amsterdam uh the david um uh o russell movie mm-hmm. and neither of them were improved by being high mm. like that was the thing i mean i probably laughed a little more at the gore yeah. of the movies but yeah even just like in terms of gross out factor like you know if people want really to watch something disgusting and i mean you know if they're i guess hardcore a little more yeah. hardcore like they they're not squeamish i would recommend kuso uh this movie that came out like in in 2017 uh which is, was directed by you no just kidding oh. uh, it actually is called it, it the credit is directed by steve Oh, okay. <laughs> in the movie but it, yeah you, you directed the movie without knowing like it was a fight club situation where you know you had an alter Sweet. ego <laughs> yeah you, you hadn't been getting a lot of sleep and then you made this disgusting movie no, I have been a little tired yeah Kuso is actually made by a guy named Steve um, who's probably more well known for his musician alias which is um, a Flying Lotus so that okay. was his uh, directorial debut but in the movie he credits himself as because I think his real Flying Lotus, his real name is Steve. Right. Um, so oh, it's, it's uh, yeah, Kuso. Yeah, I see it now. Yeah. Yeah, Kuso. So you know, if people really want to some see something gross and it's also like competently made, like watch Kuso. Like yeah, I think Kuso is the better disgusting movie. Um, but yeah, the the diarrhea part in <laughs> Terrifier Two, I just really thought that's laying down the gauntlet. I was like, oh shit. <laughs> and like literally like this is where it's going but it didn't it didn't go there it's just a lot of blood and guts you know yeah um but yeah you know uh uh i'm fine like with it i'm good i don't need to see more of this no. you know yeah so i'm good i hear you yeah uh yeah, like i mean really the best parts are just the scenes of art kind of acting out and kind of stalking and you mm. know and kind of being a, a creepy clown um yeah, I mean, there, there's no yeah. denying the uh, David um, Howard Thornton's performance, like the the commitment yeah. to it, especially because you know it, it's all about physical presence. He's really tall, like yeah. you know, you can sense it in the movie. Like you know, he towers over um, uh, Lauren Lavera, the the mm. the female lead in it, and that that adds to the terrifying aspect of it. And also, because uh, one of the early scenes in in Terrifier Two is after he commits like the opening murder he goes to a laundromat oh. and he he takes off all his clothes but obviously he still uh-huh. has the clown makeup on and then you see how pale he is you know and it, yeah. like his skin 
um and it's like oh yeah he that that makes it even terrifying too <laughs> he's just yeah. like this really t- tall pale white guy uh yeah so um yeah Say no more yeah yeah but uh, terrifier too i mean yeah. you know if it's your thing you know go for yeah. it but yeah go for, for me it. as uh, but yeah, yeah it, I, I guess I just to continue like because it was you know Spooktober you know um, I, I watched uh, I tried to watch as many ho- har- uh, horror movies as mm-hmm. I could, uh, but again a lot of them were were disappointing. So I, I watched The Empty Man. Um, oh, don't know that one. Yeah, it, it's kind of got like a cult following. It has its champions on Twitter. I remember the part of the reason that like propelled me to watch it was because. People were saying, "Oh, it's leaving HBO Max, and um, it doesn't have um, uh, any physical media release. So you know, like streaming is the only way to watch it." Uh, and I think Brandon brought it up to me a while back. Um, I'm not positive, but I think he might have. So I tried watching it, and I just fell asleep. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like uh, it's just, and I, I also thought the acting was pretty terrible. Uh, the performances were pretty bad, and uh, but I mean, at least uh, I'll give it credit for being original. You know yeah. that that, and it has like a, at least a very good like opener. Like a, mm-hmm. I guess you could say it's a cold open, but it's a very long one before the title even shows up and the actual movie starts. Um, and you know, it it had some chilling moments in it, but yeah, ultimately it's just um, yeah, uh, it just it wasn't enough to hold my attention and again another super long movie like it's it was over two hours again um like uh yeah i don't know i guess like the old maybe it was also the budget of of older horror movies but i'm i'm used to horror movies being like 100 minutes or less you know (laughs) like i love a good 80 minute 90 minute horror movie just like in and out you know that's it just like um yeah, especially when yeah, I guess that that's also going back to that point of why horror purists like horror film fans hate artistic directors making horror movies is because they spend too much time like establishing things, yeah. you know, because they they're, they're focused on oh how beautiful this is like, you know the that that that's why you know you go back to like something textbook like Texas Chainsaw Massacre like you you know you just mm-hmm. get going. Like, yeah. it's like, you don't need to know the backstory of these people. Like, no. they just ended up here and, like, they got to get out of this situation. And that's yeah. it. I don't need to know about the characters, like, past trauma and all yeah. this shit. Like, oh, their kid died. I don't care. You know? It's yeah. like, exactly. I, yeah, just, like, uh, put me in that situation where they have to get out of it. And, like, yeah, I'm in. That's right. it, you know? And, and then they also used to end really abruptly. Like yeah. Like, all those movies, like Halloween, Alien. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there was a, yeah, there's a bunch more where it's just like, you get to the end and you're out. Yeah. And now it's just like, the the yeah. endings take forever yeah. for a lot of these movies. Yeah, there's a lot of, like, uh, false uh, endings, you know? And I mean, yeah. it, it is also because these movies also had these, but you know, like the, the going back to Halloween ends real quick. The the yeah. whole thing of Michael Myers like getting up again, they they riff on that yeah. in Halloween ends, you know. Um, and then uh, obviously the the ending of Carrie, which is the legendary fake out ending. Right. Uh, oh, yeah. For those who haven't seen it, you know. <laughs> Although we'll keep it. Like, yeah, I will say in Halloween ends, it was kind of interesting. They do the fake out. Corey comes back to life to scare, not to scare, but to grab Michael Myers. 
mm. which was I thought kind of a funny way of doing yeah the the killer comes back right was doing it to the other killer <laughs> yeah that was good it was just that they did it several more times with Michael yeah. Myers on the kitchen island yeah exactly <laughs> for real yeah yeah um uh yeah so all of these like I, I think yeah that's really it it's like these undigested influences yeah. that people take and then they they tend to just go on too long because yeah i mean aside from the abrupt endings that you brought up it's just they're memorable endings mm. like you you can't forget like you know um leatherface dancing with the yep. the chainsaw with the mm-hmm. the the sunset or the dawn yeah. breaking uh Beautiful. sunrise um yeah or like yeah um the carry ending you know it's mm-hmm. just like they, these are great endings yeah um yeah. so yeah that's mainly it so i i, I tried i mean uh i was put up by uh jr to watch um i saw the devil the korean movie oh. uh have you seen it no uh it came out i think 2013 so it's it's been almost a decade um since it came out and it it stars uh Choi min sik who was in um in old boy Mm-hmm. And he's also well. He actually he's really the villain. He's the killer in this in this movie. Um, and uh, yeah, it's a really gory <laughs> movie, which I was taken aback by. But uh, it's also to its detriment because it's just um, unlike I, you know another director who I actually the guy who directed Old Boy. He I saw another movie of his uh, his recent movie, um, Decision to Leave, uh, Park Park Chan Wook. Like when he does violence, there's always like some sort of depth to that violence. Like you know, there's there's a cost, there's consequences that happen. Whereas with the violence in I Saw the Devil, it just didn't have that weight. Like mm-hmm. it was just gore for gore's sake, and like it it also is very long. Like it's like a prolonged torture movie because like the you know there's a guy exacting revenge on the killer, and he keeps like letting the killer go. And mm. <laughs> and then catching up to him and then torturing him again, like it's just like, Jeez. yeah, it, it's yeah. that type of movie. But you know, uh, if you enjoy gore, it, it, I mean, you know, it it did it very well. I felt. Yeah. Um, I, mean, I and, like tolerate gore. It's not my favorite, yeah. but yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I, it's I, right. yeah, I, I, I would say I enjoy it. Like you know, because it crosses over to slapstick comedy for me. <laughs> like mm-hmm. you know, I like when it treads that line. When it's like just you know a head rolling away, like you know, and I mean, uh, oh, let me just say, like I guess a uh, Halloween rewatch for me was um uh, American Werewolf in London, which still holds up, you know. Oh. And there, there's a, a really funny gore scene where a head rolls away in <laughs> in, yeah. in America because it's so unexpected how it happens, and that's the amazing thing because John Landis is one of those few directors who can balance horror and comedy very well you know like it's both scary and it's uh it's mm-hmm. funny you know yeah. um because yeah the, the, i guess those two genres are the two genres that are like um you you just know if it works or not you know yeah. it's not like a drama where it kind of can grow on you and stuff horror and comedy it's either you laugh or you're you're scared or not you know? yeah <laughs> that's it. It, it, it it's almost black and white in that way um mm-hmm. uh so yeah American Werewolf in London, still enjoyable. Probably in my top five horror movies of all time. Cool. Yeah. Um. Uh. And yeah, that was great. And yeah, I, I mentioned um. I saw Decision to Leave. That was actually my birthday movie. I watched it on my my birthday. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it was it was good. Like there was a lot of aspects of it where I was like, man, this is it's so well done. You know, I mean, Park Chan Wook is just such a and you know, the opposite of Damien Leon, like such a competent filmmaker. Mm-hmm. Like you know, yeah. he knows how to move the camera. You know, he understands editing languages. I mean, one of the things that he did that was very innovative actually with Old Boy, even though that's a movie that I have issues with too. I mean, a lot of people love that movie. But one of the things I love that he did with Old Boy was how he incorporated um, CGI for transitions. Mm-hmm. So how he, he edits scenes seamlessly through CGI, like he actually uses visual effects. Um, and uh, he does it again here. And, you know, just even more incredible in Decision to Leave because he also plays with perspective since it's like it's a detective story and a romantic movie at the same time. And I love that the movie actually has an intro by him. And it's a really funny like deadpan intro because he's saying like, oh, yeah, the movie's in two parts. So um, the second part comes directly after the first part. Yeah, <laughs> like that's what he, yeah. he mentions like yeah, it's just such a deadpan thing, and yeah, it, it was beautiful. But yeah, I, I mean, you know, I enjoyed it. But uh, like, um, uh, in terms of, of of movies that I've watched on my birthday, and especially because the last movie I saw on my birthday in the theater was you know uh, now three years ago because of the pandemic. Um, uh, oh, we're we're gonna get the Spotify thing again. Yeah. <laughs> the warning, the COVID warning. Yeah. So, um, uh, was Parasite, which is like you know the oh, biggest right. Korean movie probably of yeah. all time now. You know because of just how many awards it's won and it's well deserved. You know it really yeah. is a masterpiece. Mm-hmm. Like you know, some people will argue that it's not even Bong Joon Ho's best film, but I love it. You know mm-hmm. it really it still holds up to me, and you know that that's really it. Like I guess. It's unfair to decision to leave for me to say that that it, yeah it's not parasite you know? yeah. Yeah. so uh, yeah but I mean it, it it does a lot of innovative things but yeah I, I guess it just uh, it doesn't stick to landing yeah. I'll say that mm-hmm. um, uh, so yeah I got a couple more um, oh uh, just relating to Terrifier two they were mentioning another horror movie that was also done on a low budget. And that's been very profitable, and I ended up seeing it actually like two days ago, very recently. And I would have never seen it, and uh, regardless, but somebody dragged me to go see it. Is Smile? Um, oh, Smile! Yeah, I've yes. seen all the advertising for it. They they had people smiling at at like sporting events. <laughs> oh like, man! Like, like behind Creepy. home plate. <laughs> yeah, they would have people smiling just like for the whole inning, and, and the camera uh, would kind of zoom in, and people would be like, "Why is this person smiling?" Oh, yeah. that is good fucking marketing. Oh my yeah. god. Yeah, I I didn't even realize that. Yeah, because especially the World Series happened recently. Like that's crazy. Yeah. yeah. Oh man. Oh wow. Uh, you yeah. Think of the movie. Uh, it's all right. Yeah. <laughs> no, actually, it's pretty yeah. mediocre. I'll say that. No, it wasn't even all right. Like, yeah, there, there's an idea within it that's fascinating. And it's funny that it's like, it's a well that people have gone into before. But mm-hmm. it's hard to think of examples of actually like ones that stand out. So it's the idea of like a psychiatrist gradually going crazy, you know? Mm. Um, yeah. yeah. And uh, I, I think there's something there. Like, that's a very fascinating aspect. Like... um. I mean, a lot of people don't like um, Shutter Island, the Martin Scorsese mm-hmm. movie with right. Leo. And, you know, spoiler alert, that's kind of what it's about, too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's yeah. about somebody going crazy. Uh, but uh, uh, 
but yeah, it, it's weird that it's not because it, there there is an aspect of it where, you know, how can people believe you um, when you're yeah you sound insane, but like you're mm-hmm. actually the person who who makes the most sense, um, you know, because we're we're with that character's perspective. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, it's like th- this whole thing of maybe it's also an indictment of like um, mental health and. Um, uh, you know, psychiatric hospitals like that that they try to keep you there, you know, and the more that you try to reason with them that you're not crazy, they just mm-hmm. like, okay, it's fine. You can you need to relax and just yeah. you know, take your pills <laughs> and exactly. stuff. And uh yeah, I, I thought it was well done too in that uh, Steven Soderbergh movie that he shot on iPhone um Unsane. You know, they it plays mm-hmm. with that aspect. Um uh but yeah it's just rare. Like I, I think uh, I mean, uh, one of the earlier examples where it's done very well is actually a shock corridor, um, uh, by Samuel Fuller. Because the premise of that is like, I think he's like a journalist who, who wants to go undercover, uh, mm-hmm. in an asylum to basically like you know write his Pulitzer Prize winning <laughs> article, but he gradually you know goes crazy because he's there, you know, or even mm-hmm. I guess yeah, one flew over the cuckoo's nest, right? Like that's the whole premise that you know. Uh, Jack Nicholson's character is pretending to be crazy, but you know, eventually, because they're, you know, they're doing that electroshock therapy on him and forcing him to take the pills, you know, it just makes him go crazy. Mm-hmm. But yeah, going back to Smile, it's just, um, yeah, it, it it doesn't really do anything refreshing with it. But again, you know, probably relating along the same lines of of Halloween three or Halloween ends is that I was getting the sense that. The director had an assignment and he had to stick with it, you know, because right. there, there, there's sometimes where he was doing like unusual shots, like shots that would be upside down or like heavily tilted. And I was like, oh, man, I wish he, he would do more of that, mm-hmm. you know, like make it at least look different. But yeah, it's it's also not very well acted. Like uh, there's this actor. He plays a train on the boys and he's in this and he's bad in, in the movie, too. He's not <laughs> he's not a good actor. Uh, um uh, the lead, uh, I think, is is played by Sarah Bacon. She's good, but um, you know, spoiler for anybody <laughs> who wants to watch it. So when she smiles in the movie, it's not terrifying. It's like she looks cute. Like I'm like, yeah, oh mm. man, she has a nice smile. <laughs> I'm not, <laughs> I'm not scared by it. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it's just kind of dumb. Yeah, <laughs> that's really yeah. it. It's like a dumb horror movie and if i want to see a dumb horror movie and this is one that brandon and i talked about is barbarian like people should see barbarian like that's a good dumb horror movie mm-hmm. like that i think that's my my dumb horror movie of the year is awesome. barbarian <laughs> yeah because yeah, it has an unexpected twist you know i i it totally took me aback and i guess maybe that's a spoiler in itself but uh mm-hmm. you know when that that uh turn happens in the movie i was just like okay i'm in you know cool um yeah so uh what else have i been watching um uh oh yeah i watched two movies which um unexpectedly both had like a prominent filipino element in them in the third act (laughs) which i was not expecting and they're both like highly regarded highly praised movies so the first movie is um uh uh triangle of sadness which was uh, this year's Palm Door winner at Cannes. Um, so it finally got a release uh, this past October. Um, very highly anticipated movie, which uh, it stars um, Harrison 
Harris Dickinson, who's like a model turned actor, and he actually plays a model in the movie. Um, and it, it focuses on like I guess the class divide and the focus on on you know money and wealth and how gross that is. Um, and basically, you know that uh, it's it's this couple. They're both models and uh, they they're dating. And I love the the whole opening of the movie is just kind of them uh, stemming from like an argument about who pays the bill. You know, mm-hmm. uh, during the date, and like, <laughs> uh, and yeah, it just how they draw out that. I mean, you know, um, Ruben Oslin, the director of Triangle of Sadness, he just does these awkward social interactions, especially with people who are like coupling so well, because he did that so well in uh, Force Majeure, and then he also did that uh, in a very memorable scene in The Square, um, mm-hmm. which I also enjoyed. Which also, actually, that was his last movie. The Square also won the Palm d'Or at Cannes, so he's he's, he's won back to back, which is rare. Most directors don't even win the Palm d'Or once, and he's won it twice. Um, yeah. So uh, yeah, it's a very good movie. Uh, I mean, a lot of people think it's too long because it's it's almost three hours, uh, and I I can imagine. Yeah, the last third of the movie, the third act, could have been trimmed down, but it would have taken away from the Filipino element, which I'm about to bring up, because uh, so much of it is Dolly Dolly De Leon's performance, mm-hmm. and I didn't even realize I'd seen her in movies before, because she's just like that type of lady, like you know, she's she's kind of a chameleon. She mm-hmm. just um, and I didn't realize that that would play such a big part in the movie, that because you 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 eventually learn on this cruise ship that people are on that the you know the the real like low level workers, you know, cause you have the workers who are basically like, um, they face the, these rich people. They're the ones serving them food during the, you know, the dinners and stuff like that. Um, and they're the ones who basically you can see on the deck so you can approach one of them and they're, you know, they're usually white people and they're, they're also dressed nicely. Like, you know, they look like a boat crew, but then there's the lower level and they're also like on the lower level of the ship, literally the people who, clean the state rooms you know um mm-hmm. when the guests are out they're, they're cleaning the corridors they're filipinos you know mm-hmm. so they're the ones that are the invisible people that are you know normally ignored and yeah they go on these cruise ships um and uh in the in so you know it's kind of shown in the trailer that they end up shipwrecked and it becomes this like whole lord of the rings Oh, Lord of the Fly, sorry. <laughs> Lord sure. of the Rings on my my Lord of the Flies kind of survival Whoa. thing. And Dolly De Leon, who, who plays the, the Filipina cleaning lady, she has the survival skills. Like, you know, she can fish. Yeah. Um awesome. yeah, and she kind of realizes that, oh wait, the power dynamics are changed now. Like you may be the rich people, but you need me to survive right now because you guys can't even start a fire. You know, yeah. you need me. And her performance is great. Like, I'm really hoping that she kind of has um, uh, similar to um, that, that older actress who was in Minari because she won an Oscar for that. I really hope, like, Dolly De Leon has, like, a good Oscar campaign behind her for her to, like, win a supporting actress. Mm-hmm. But I think she might go up against uh, Hong Chow, who I, who's in The Whale, and she's been gathering praise for for the whale so i don't know um we'll see but yeah dolly de leon's performance like it, that's the best part of the third uh the third act of 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 triangle of sadness but ultimately you know it was an entertaining movie i, I liked it a lot um and yeah it has a an interesting ending like a ambiguous ending um so yeah 
So the second movie, which is also highly praised, which I didn't like as much, um, uh, that has f- f- uh, the Philippines and Filipinos play a prominent part in the last part, is uh, Tar uh, with uh, with uh, Kate Blanchett, or as I, I like to refer to her, Cat Blanquette. Mm-hmm. Um, so Cat Blanquette, uh, she plays uh, this uh, renowned um, conductor, uh, Lydia Tar. And uh, it's it's Todd Field's like first movie in like a decade and a half, like sixteen years. Like his last movie was Little Children, uh, okay. which I think came out yeah in two thousand five or two thousand six. And he'd only directed yeah. like another movie before that, so this is only his third film. Like he made um, uh, In the Bedroom, that was his first film in two thousand one. And this is the crazy thing that I learned about <laughs> Todd Field. The reason because he he started out as an actor before he became a filmmaker. And the reason why he doesn't really need to work is because he invented Big League Chew. Like, what? Yeah, he's one of the co-founders of Big League Chew. And, you know, obviously they sold it to Wrigley's and he made, like, millions. So, Holy yeah. shit. Yeah, so Todd Field, director Todd Field is the co-founder of Big League Chew. Well, <laughs> yeah. I, I want to see a movie on that. Oh yeah, exactly. Yeah, they that should be his next film. <laughs> but yeah, um, so Tar. It, I mean, it, it's a movie that definitely it it sticks with me. Like it, I, I'm still thinking about it. Um, uh, yeah. because it's just so different. You know, the the rhythms are different. Like uh, the opening of the movie, it shows you all the credits. Uh, at the beginning of the movie. Oh. Yeah, like the entire credits play, and it's like without sound it's just like and then it's not a scrolling credits it's like you know the individual like title cards um and yeah so that really establishes the rhythm of the movie and that that's why a lot of people it's also a movie that's almost three hours long um a lot of people find it long and like the first two or three scenes in it are are like 10 15 minutes each you know (laughs) so um yeah it's really drawn out um uh but yeah like the the whole thing with the the Filipino aspect of it is weird because uh she ends up in the Philippines at the end of the movie um but for some reason like Todd Field made a really odd choice like he he cast Filipinos and Thai people so he was kind of making the Philippines seem like it was somewhere between Thailand and the Philippines hmm huh. Yeah, I like I don't know what what the like I would love, love to like go to a Q&A and ask him about it. You know, like why Yeah. why did you want to make it like vaguely Southeast Asian? And even in the credits, you know, he specifies like this movie was shot on location in Berlin, New York City and East Asia. Like really like it was that vague like East Asia, yeah. like you couldn't specify that, that that's the Philippines. Yeah, (laughs) and that you know you cast Thai people along with Filipinos like you know it was just really weird Um, and yeah like uh, the the video game Monster Hunter plays a part in it which is really strange and it's not really a spoiler because you'll see in the credits like it credits Monster Hunter and then you know you'll see why at the end of the movie Um, but yeah it was was a strange experience like I was also like with a crowd that I guess because I watched it in the middle of the day so it was a lot of like seniors and stuff sure and they were they were laughing all throughout the movie and I was just like I I don't get it like is this like too intellectual for me like you know it's very dry humor 
Um, yeah. yeah, which I generally I usually enjoy, but I guess because it was like you know it, it's focusing on somebody who's like in the upper class elite kind of thing. You know, I yeah. guess that kind of humor goes over my head. So right, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a little more like like the humor is like oh look at this person in this circumstance. Right. Um, yeah, and I mean you yeah. know there's some biting lines of dialogue in the movie too, and. You know, I guess my central issue with it is Cat Blanket. You know, because I, I just don't really believe in her as an actress. I love her as a person. Like, you know, I loved what she was doing actually as like the, the promo for this movie. Like when she was doing the tour, she went on Hot Ones. Oh, cool! <laughs> yeah, and she's fantastic. Like, it's a great episode of Hot Ones, and you know, people even like did some detective work. And notice that she was wearing the same outfit when she did the Criterion Closet. So she did the two things on the same day. Oh, <laughs> she, nice. Yeah, she went to the Criterion Closet and then uh, with Todd Field, by the way. So they're both in the Criterion Closet grabbing a bunch of DVDs and Blu-rays. And then, you know, she did hot ones. <laughs> and yeah, she's she's really charming, you know, in person. But like I, my problem with her performances is that they're just so technical and mannered. That, you know, it's like, I understand, like, logically, if you ran this through a machine, like, it's good acting, you know, but, like, it doesn't resonate with me. It doesn't connect, yeah. Yeah, and that's how I feel about Meryl Streep as well. It's just, like, I can tell they're good actors because I can can see them doing the technique, you know? Uh, Like, I can see how the sausage is made, you know? It's just, um, there's something about it. They're just so technical that I'm disconnected from it. Yeah. You know, and her accent is terrible. Like, I'll just say that right right now. Like, uh, yeah, shout out to Bill Scurry because Bill Scurry is like a stickler for, um, mm-hmm. like, British and Australian. You know, I mean, yeah, Kate Bunch is Australian and she's doing an American accent. I, I don't believe that she's from Long Island. Like, you know, it's a terrible accent. <laughs> or from New yeah. England or wherever she is from, supposedly vaguely nor- northeastern. Uh, American, but it's just like, yeah, I it's a it's a terrible accent. Like, yeah, yeah, I just wish she would just, um, I don't know. Uh, I mean, I guess it would have been weird if her character was Australian, but, uh, yeah, her accent's fine. You know, just it, yeah, she's a great person. Like, I really do like her as a personality, but as an actress, I'm yeah, it's just it it takes me out of it to see her perform. Cool. Yeah. So, um, uh, yeah, I got two more things. So, uh, um, I watched Clerks 3, and I texted you once I saw it. Yeah. Yeah. Did you get around to watching it? No, I don't okay. think. Yeah, I don't <laughs> know. Not... I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not into, I'm not into Clerks anymore. Yeah. The first one sure. I really liked, but yeah. Same. And, uh, I, yeah, and the second one is so forgettable. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the only thing that I remember from the second one is, you know, Rosario Dawson is great in it. And um, uh, the the Jackson 5, like, musical number. I thought that was mm-hmm. well done. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, yeah, I, I probably would have skipped Clerks 3. When I saw the trailer, I was like, why do we need this? Like, they're all <laughs> older now and, like, have less hair. Like, yeah. you know, and and it's not like, you know, I, I've been a fan of, of anything Kevin Smith has been doing lately. You know, it started right. first when I started dropping off with the movies. But then even just like his uh, his podcast and like even his, his talking tours, which was one of my favorite things. I, lo- I like the An Evening with Kevin Smith. Like, mm-hmm. those are great. Like, you know, the, his story about Prince and 
the story about um, him getting involved with Superman Lives, you know, the mm-hmm. Nick Cage, Tim Burton movies. Those are fantastic stories, you know. Yeah. Um, and yeah, watch it on YouTube. Like, but the whole thing is great because like they compiled all his like campus speaking tour stuff, and you know it's really funny. And ironically enough, actually, that bears um, uh, an influence on on Clerks Three. Because he was getting ready. This happened in real life. Like he was getting ready for one of his like speaking engagements, and he had a heart attack, and he almost died. Like had they not like wow. put um, a stent in his uh, artery, he he yeah he definitely would have died. Like and, yeah. and I I first yeah I learned about stents through that, and then it, it's brought back in this movie. Um, since you're never gonna watch it, I'll just I'll break it down for you yeah. real quick. So um. We catch up with Randall and Dante. They now own Quick Stop and okay. RST Video. And RST Video is now a, you know, a cannabis store. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's like they own it, but they still like go behind the counter. And, you know, um, Elijah from the second movie, uh, he's also older and fatter. And, <laughs> and he's the, the employee at Quick Stop. And, you know, so they could just have him mind the, the desk. But I guess, you know... For the continuity of the view student mm-hmm. universe, it's like okay, they still have to show up to work and and hate all the customers and stuff. So yeah, and that's what the trailer kind of makes it seem like it's about. It's just like okay, here here's some shenanigans again with yeah. you know these old people that you're you like, right? You like these people, right? <laughs> that kind of thing. I, I guess that's one of my main issues with Kevin Smith is that he panders to the audience too much. Mm-hmm. You know he. Uh, like he, but he's never been that type of filmmaker anyway. Where it's like, "Fuck you, I'm gonna do what I want." You know, he always wants to make like crowd pleasing movies, and you know, more power to him. And he's he's definitely done that. Like I think Mallrats is my favorite movie of his, and mm-hmm. that was considered to be like a failure. You know, right? Uh, but now it's it's kind of gathering steam again, which is great. Um, but yeah, like uh, uh, he's never been that type of filmmaker where it's like I'm gonna stick with what I want to do. Like he. He's always got the audience in mind. You know, he even made a movie that was based on, like, his podcast, like, somebody sent in, like, you know, Tusk. Like, that was based on, right. uh, like, somebody sending him, like, some sort of Craigslist ad or something. And that that became the inspiration for the movie. Like, he lets, you know, and I guess that's why he has such a great fan base is because he lets them participate in his world. Like, he almost mm-hmm. seems like he's just a friend of yours, you know. Like he yeah. he's easily accessible and you know he's he's definitely a charming guy and he's, he's hilarious, yeah. You know, he he's really good in interviews. He's really I I feel like he had one of like the first or he was an early adopter of podcasting, right? Yes, the like Smodcast, yeah, yeah, that he does with Scott Mosier, his producing partner. Yeah, and yeah. it was great. Yeah, the first few episodes of that I listened to and I liked it. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, he he's kind of become oversaturated because he he has that podcast. He's got the Hollywood Babylon podcast, and then right, he's got the Ralph Garman. Yeah. yeah, and he's got the Fat Man podcast. <laughs> he's just like spreading himself too thin. I feel. Yeah. And then he even had the Hulu show that was actually really entertaining. Um, I I don't know if you ever caught it. Um, I I don't know if it's still on Hulu, but they canceled it eventually. But it was like his kind of movie variety hour where it was like you know he'd have a live crowd it was recorded in universal city um right on the uh, universal studios uh, city walk actually um and uh you know there'd be like a, a good crowd like it's the type of show you never see anymore it's like a very 90s type feel it felt like trl or something mm-hmm. um and 
And yeah, he would even have like a section on that show where it was like his Criterion Corner where he would like pick a Criterion movie and talk about it. Like it was a, a really fun show. Um uh but yeah, like uh I think he's really he rubbed a lot of people the wrong way, especially with his He-Man reboot. Mm-hmm. Uh yeah. because he he also lied about it. Like he was like, you know, he said that oh yeah, He-Man is is prominent and he's not. <laughs> like yeah. it was like um about the I forgot the name Tila. Yeah, it was more about her than He-Man and that's why they did the kind of course correcting for the second episode. But yeah, like he lost a lot of good faith and there was something where I forgot what it was. I think he was also just shilling for for the those Star Wars um the reboot Star Wars movies which were all terrible, you know? And yeah, like he was saying how great like Rise of Skywalker was and it's like no, it wasn't. And like you're you're supposed to be more critical of it because you're such a dedicated Star Wars fan. Like, yeah. but I think he, yeah, he's getting sucked into the machine. You know, there there is that aspect that he is kind of shilly. You know, um, yeah. I mean, he's fr- He's a nice guy, so yeah. I think he's just friends with everyone. Mm-hmm. He, and you know, his yeah. peers are are now running things. So it's like, yeah, it's just a, it's a different right different deal yeah and i can understand there must be like some sort of business aspect of it like you know he probably would love to to do a disney star wars project you know oh my God. I, I i they should give one yeah. give one to him you know I, like i would see it you sure. know who knows yeah. he might do like the same thing that the dave uh john favreau and dave filoni did with um uh, the mandalorian mm-hmm. you know which sure. is the only good star wars thing that's come out of disney star wars yeah i feel uh um, but yeah going back to clerks three so with all of this in mind, you know, I am I've basically fallen off the the Kevin Smith wagon. Like I'm just like I yeah, I yeah. I'm not on the bandwagon for him. Knives out, you know, like <laughs> I'm ready mm-hmm. to hate it. But there was something like I guess a friend of mine, uh Scott Thorough, who the section of our um I, I do have a Scott take after this. That's okay. who he who he's named after. It's uh, the Scott take is named after Scott Thorough. And happy birthday, Scott, by the way. He had his birthday um last week. Um and uh so yeah he saw it and he said he was crying when he saw clerks 3 and i was like what this movie made you cry um and i I was just like okay i'll give it a shot you know it's like streaming now yeah um so i i put it on and (laughs) lo and behold i actually liked it (laughs) like i was not expecting to actually like it like it's a decent movie like um yeah the the heart attack features prominently in the movie like uh it's actually Randall who ends up getting a heart attack and that makes him you know reevaluate his life which is what happened with Kevin Smith like you know he talks about it when he was a guest on Rogan about how he changed his diet you know and he's obviously mm-hmm. very much thinner now um mm-hmm. uh but yeah it, it it was just it was sweet and charming which i was not expecting you know um and it's all about growing older you know like that is what the movie is about like it's like how do you um reclaim what you had back then you know when you're now in your 50s you know like uh, yeah it's about gen x getting older you know um and it does you know do throwbacks to the original clerks movie but it's part of the plot because after randall has the um that heart attack he basically decides to make a movie which is Clerks. Oh, <laughs> so there's cool. this weird time thing where it's like, well, yeah, you're making Clerks now, but you're older, you know, so you get to see the scenes replay again, but oh, cool. um, they're all older, 
you know, and they, they shoot it in black and white, uh, which is great, too. And then, yeah, Rosario Dawson is great in it, too. Like, um, yeah, her her few moments, she's not in it that prominently, mm-hmm. maybe because she couldn't they couldn't afford to have her uh, be a lead in the movie. So she, it, her her part is more of a cameo. But, yeah, all the moments with her really touching and and Dante's whole journey in the movie is just, um, yeah, it was really moving. And I was not expecting that, you know. Um, so, yeah, Clerks 2, man. Okay. Thumbs up. All right. <laughs> oh, Clerks 3, I'll, sorry, not 2. <laughs> I'll give it a shot. Yeah, just watch, like, the the opening. Like, no, actually, I'll say watch it until the heart attack scene. Yeah. Because okay. <laughs> um, okay. uh, Justin Long's, like, cameo in the movie, I was, like, busting laughing. And yeah, I, 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 sh- I even sell that short. Like, it's a funny Kevin Smith movie. Like, that's the other thing. Like, he, he can still make people laugh. Like, okay. <laughs> yeah, so Justin, yeah, watch it up to the point you get to Justin Long's part. And then uh, okay. Amy Sedaris is also great in it. Yeah, there's just some, yeah. Oh, awesome. Yeah, and there's a whole bunch of cameos. There's, like, a whole extended sequence where you get a bunch of cameos, too, which was fun. Um, So, yeah, Clerks 3, thumbs up. Cool. All right, uh, so. Wait, hold on. Before yeah. you get your Scott take, I just want to ask, yeah. did you ever get to around to watching any of, of Don's plum. I think I no. mentioned it on the on 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 a pod with Kai. So I don't think you were on that episode, but I'm Yeah, I curious, I listened curious. to the pod. Yeah, I listened to your episode uh but you, you didn't exactly like endorse the movie. You no. were you're like watch the documentary. So yeah. um no, I haven't gotten around to it, but uh, okay. I I do I'm mean, I'm curious about the documentary. Maybe the documentary might lead me to watch the movie yeah. itself, but I will say yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, I just want. I just want to, cause like, yeah, I kind of skewered the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say, in in watching it, um, there is a, a scene at the end that I think is improv between Leonardo DiCaprio and Jenny Lewis when they're in mm. the bar alone. That I think that scene w- is actually pretty good. So okay. I gave it short shrift that like it's like <laughs> awful, and it right. largely is in chunks, and it's hard to watch. But there the. That scene to me is kind of interesting, and like if if that was the movie, if it was just like a a short ten a ten yeah, minute like, short with just that scene, mm-hmm. you, you you might be like, oh, this is kind of interesting. Right. Um, so I just want to add that caveat in. Okay. All right. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'll 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 give the documentary a shot for sure. You don't you don't have to, but yeah, <laughs> if if it pops up in the algo, right. sure. Yeah, why not? Yeah. yeah, why not? Um, yeah, I mean they're they're listening to me right now, so it's probably already in my feed. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Hi, overlords. Yeah. Hello. Uh, don't ban us. Don't shadow ban us. Actually, shadow banning is worse than being banned because at least with being banned, you know where you stand. But shadow banning is like oh, people yeah. just don't see what you're doing, so you're like posting in the ether yeah. and it's just disappearing. <laughs> Hello. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Um. Yeah. So. Uh. Yeah. I got a Scott take. Here we go. Scott take. Okay. Okay. So. Um. I want to say, and this guy is like an indie darling, and people are even saying his latest movie, actually two movies he has out this year are some of the best of the year, but I'm just going to say this. Uh, Hong Sang-soo is now a boring filmmaker to me. Ooh, <laughs> yeah. okay. <laughs> yeah, and the two movies that he has out are um, uh, Walk Up, uh, which actually isn't going to get a proper like uh, theatrical release until next year. I saw it at AFI Fest. And the other movie that that did get a release is Novelist, the Novelist's film, mm-hmm. and they're both in black and white. 
And this is my main issue now with the movies that he makes. Because I am a big Hong Sang-soo fan. Like, uh, you know, I I discovered them early. Like, um, shout out to Cinephile uh, in L.A., in West L.A. Uh, like, uh, you know, it's the video store that's right next to the New Art. And they had the Hong Sang-soo movies before he was, like, well-known. And I just heard about him. Like, they were like, yeah, he's, he's like, this really innovative South Korean filmmaker. Um, and they had like imported movies of his on DVD that were like terribly subtitled. Like I think they were directly from Korea. <laughs> and, uh, but that didn't take away my enjoyment from the movies. Like the day the pig fell in the well. They have great titles, by the way, too. Like uh, the Power of Kangwon Province and Virgin Strip Bear by Her Bachelors. Like they're just fantastic. And he had an incredible run. It was like basically, yeah, he started his career in '96. And I want to say, like, all the way until 2014, he never made a bad movie. Like, all of them are fantastic. And then he got to a point where he was even, like, releasing a movie a year, which is what the pace is he's on now. He's actually sometimes doing even two or three a year. Like, he's really, uh, you know, uh, like, rattling them out. But it's it's, mm-hmm. it's also to his detriment now. Because, um, so... What made the movie so good initially was that he he is a, like a really innovative storyteller. Like he knows how to make really compelling structures with his movies, especially the earlier ones. Like they're very rigidly structured and in a fun way. Like, you know, um, like the power of Kangwon province, like it's kind of a spoiler for the movie if I were to describe the structure of the movie. But uh, it's basically about uh, two people who go on holiday separately to the same province and then you start to see parallels with their their journeys because they happen all, all at the same time. And there's like events that occur where it's like you see her perspective and then you see his perspective and then it connects in the end. Um, yeah. And like, um, you know, uh, something like a woman is the future of man is about like uh, two guys who were in love with the same woman, but they both remember her differently. So when it does flashbacks of her, like she's different in the way the one guy remembers her and then the way the other guy does. You know, it's like stuff like that. Yeah, and it's really innovative stuff. And Hill of Freedom, which is my favorite movie of his, which I kind of want to do an episode on um, as well. And maybe we can have Kay be on it because she she also likes Hong Sang-soo. It's it's basically about this guy who, who writes letters to this woman that he fell in love with, but he... um, he kind of didn't realize it at that time. So he goes back. He's a Japanese guy. And this is actually one of the funniest aspects of the movie is that uh, he's Japanese and he went to Korea to teach. And um, so his letters to her are written in English and it's like broken English. And the mm-hmm. entire movie is actually in, in broken English because he's this Japanese guy trying to navigate through Korea, you know, and they, you know, it's these Korean people having to speak English with him for, for them to understand each other. Um, but the beauty of the structure of the movie is that he wrote these letters to her, but they weren't in, in any particular order. And when she finally gets the letters, like she kind of faints on, at a staircase and they fall. So she tries to put the letters back together, but they're out of order. So the entire movie is like in, in that random structure, like everything is, and then she forgets a page of one of the letters. So there's, there's a part of the letters that that's missing um yeah and it's just such a beautiful movie i mean i think it's a masterpiece like it's probably in my like top 10 movies of all time it's something that i watch over and over and it's only an hour long which is also fantastic 
yeah, like to have that innovative structure. So that's what Hong Sang-soo was doing. And then um, something happened. Like he basically, he was a married man and, um, you know, he had kids and um, and so much of his storyline, he kept on going back to this over and over again, which is like basically a film director who also happens to be a film professor teaching at a university and um, he ends up having an affair with like one of his students. Hmm. You know, that's the storyline he kept on going back to over and over again. And I remember huh. like I telling a friend of mine when we watched, um, ah, oh, shit, I, I can't even remember which one of his movies it was. Maybe it was like Oki's movie or something, which was I think in, in 2008 we saw it. And um, I told him like, uh, you know, this really feels like he's writing from experience. You know, because it's also like a lot of his movies are also about characters getting drunk. And he's he's like a notorious drinker in real mm. life. Like um, he has like a favorite bar that uh, in, in South Korea, apparently, like it's a hole in the wall place that nobody will tell you where it is. But people in the know know where he likes to hang out. Um, so I was just like, yeah, this really feels like he's writing from experience. And he was like, nah, you know, he's he's got a wife and kids. It's like, you know, he was kind of drawing that parallel of, um, you know, how there's certain filmmakers who or very calm, but they write very violent movies or direct mm-hmm. very violent movies. It's just kind of yeah. like that, you know? It's like, a, you know, it's a flight of fancy or something. And then sure enough, the scandal breaks, breaks like in 2015 where uh, <laughs> he was having an affair with one of his actresses, um, mm-hmm. Kim Min-hee, who's like been in, in most of his movies uh, up until this point. Like, yeah, so she's kind of become his muse, but, you know, it was a, it was a big scandal in Korea, like... Uh, you know, uh, she was more affected by it than him because, uh, you know, she couldn't get any parts after that, you know, because she was also in Park Chan-wook's um, The Handmaiden. Uh, but yeah, that it, you know, she was kind of tainted. It was like a scarlet letter or something. She, you know, she broke. She's a, a homebreaker uh, mm. or a homewrecker. Um, and so after that, his films also changed. Like, actually, like the first film I think he made after that scandal broke was... Um, uh, this movie called Yourself and Yours, and it just felt like a little more like bitter, and um, it wasn't as funny anymore. Even though you know his first few movies were actually very serious, like the comedy aspect, he only really started that like in two thousand nine, and it was like from two thousand nine to two thousand fourteen. Like I guess it peaked with with Hill of Freedom, um, like those were really funny movies. Like he had a, a hidden talent for comedy that I wasn't aware of. Uh, but yeah, they, they kind of started to become serious again after that. And it was still fascinating because it was refreshing. It was like, oh, this is like another step in his evolution. But this new phase that started, I'm not a fan of at all. Like, you know, those those movies after The Affair and Scandal were like, mm-hmm. I was already starting to drop off, but now I've completely fallen off. Because um, so he's now a one-man band. He does everything behind the camera, which sucks. Like the first attempt he even did like a uh, introduction it's it looks terrible like the the um like I was wondering too because you know screeners were showing up online and I was like is this because it's pirated but no he actually shot it that way that it looks like a piece of crap like it just it's heavily like um grainy and it looks like it it was like old YouTube like you know uh like uh not even 480p 
like you know, whatever what was the lower resolution like 260 or something yeah yeah <laughs> yeah it's like that that resolution of 260p like it just looks terrible like and i confirm it now because they did a blu-ray release and it still looks like that um so like yeah it was intentional for it to look like that because yeah i guess that was his first attempt at shooting the movie himself because he he had a regular cinematographer and i even like forgot to mention this that his his trademark is his zooms you know like um once he started doing that like that's what he became known for and there was like this even like cringe like uh nickname for him um hong sang zoom <laughs> Um, <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, like he was so good at that. And I even remember like I attended the screening with a Q and a with him and I asked him why, cause he had just started doing those zooms at that time. And I asked him why he, he started doing that. And he was like, yeah, it's just faster than cutting. He's a very deadpan oh. guy. He, like he, he's like a sleepy kind of dude. <laughs> like he's, he's funny, but yeah. So, but yeah, it, it's it's really innovative because the way he does zooms they're very jarring like they're very quick zooms and then he'll zoom back out again and you know it's, you know going back to that idea of, of film grammar you know that's something that you're not supposed to do it's almost like when you pan one direction you shouldn't pan back you know kind of thing but mm. he does it so well because it it changes the context you know it's like a literal like reframing because you know you can have like a table where people are conversing with each other but if you just zoom in on two people, like it leaves the other person out, you mm -hmm. know, and that that changes everything, you know. Um, so, yeah, he, he did that so well. And he had this great cinematographer who um, I'm blanking on the name. But, uh, um, yeah, since now he does it, there's n these zooms are gone. <laughs> yeah. Like he, he's like shooting mainly on static cameras. And also, um, I like the music of his movies. Like, uh, even the the early films, they had, like, more kind of serious scores, which were really well done. Actually, the, the score of um, of The Day the Pig Fell in the Well reminded me a lot of Jim Jarmusch's um, Stranger Than Paradise, the score by John Lurie. They had that kind of um, violin score that was, like, very minimal, and it's, it's beautiful. Um... And then he started using, like, this cheesy music in his, like, funnier movies. Like, it's just, like, this kind of light piano-y score. But it works. Yeah. You know? uh, but now, yeah, he barely uses music. And, like, in this recent movie, Walk Up, like, he he does the music himself. And it was, like, recorded from, I don't know if he used, like, a tape recorder or something. And then played it next to his computer and then recorded it off of that but it sounds like so weird and he's playing guitar and i mean you know he i guess he's a decent guitar player but it's just like <laughs> uh everything is just uh it, it it everything just feels a lot more um i don't know less polished in a way and, and not in a good way uh with his films and but ultimately that's just it they're just boring now like um the novelist film is actually even worse because it um not much happens there. I mean, yeah, he's just focusing now on people like having conversations. There's no innovative structure anymore like they used to. And uh, with the novelist film, uh, which is, you know, what it's about. It's like this novelist who wants to make a movie. Uh, mm -hmm. And the movie's so mundane. And then you see the movie that she makes at the end of the film. That's how the film ends. And it's beautiful. And I'm like, where was that? Like this, <laughs> this movie that the the novelist makes is better than the actual movie that it's about, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, and that reminded me of like, yeah, that he is like a genuine talent. But yeah, just I feel like 
with every movie now, I think f- from maybe 2018 onwards has just been dull affairs. <laughs> and I'm in the minority. I, I feel like other people are just, um, uh, yeah, they, they're still big fans. And, you know, he, he's getting these festival runs. So people still he love him. And, you know, the screening for even though it wasn't a festival um, context, like uh, they uh, it was a packed screening, you know, that I went to for mm-hmm. walk up. So people still like his film. So, yeah, that's just me. My uh, my contrarian mm-hmm. take, <laughs> my yeah. Scott take. Yeah. Well, we got to have that. We got to have that element in the pod, Carlo. Yeah. You know. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it, it gives us the edge because I don't agree with most people. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's, that's really the thing. But I, I don't, I, I will just say as a caveat, I don't disagree for the sake of disagreeing. Like, yeah, that's just mm-hmm. genuinely how I feel. Like, that's just it. Yeah. You know? So, yeah. It's yeah. genuine. It's authentic. Yeah. Yep. You're just a different person. You're built different. <laughs> I'm wired differently. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, I just got to be honest, you know, that's really it. So, um, yeah. So uh, I have a really quick Carlos Cannon. And Ooh, it's a good oh, segue go. to our main feature. Carlos Excellent. Love it. Um, mm. So my my thing is a, it's it, it's Carly Sheenaman's Fuses. Which I'd seen before. It's only a half hour uh, experimental film. Uh, but I, I saw like a really terrible print of it. Um, but that was part of the aspect, I guess, of the film. It's it's supposed to be like a degraded film. So Fuses is actually a, a movie of, of Carolee Sheenaman, the filmmaker, and her, um, at the time, her lover, partner, um, James. Oh, man, I'm blanking on his last name. Uh, but he Tenny, was also it looks like yeah yeah he's he's a musician and the movie is just them having sex <laughs> and it's not a porn Jesus. though yeah yeah but um it's kind of revealed as the movie goes along that it's through the point of view of the cat <laughs> so the cat oh. is is watching them make love and yeah it 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 doesn't um yeah you see full penetration there's like no no thing that you don't see and like you know different positions oh, so God. i think this was more more than one one session like they recorded multiple sessions of their their love making and um but yeah it, it's not just like a straight up porn because for one thing it's not in chronological order it it intercuts a lot and there's like beautiful mm-hmm. scenes where they're just like having fun at the beach you know and then uh-huh. she does all these like superimpositions so like you know you're not just watching one layer so it's not just them having sex and I'm, you know, I I wrote like a really passionate review about it on um, on Letterboxd, and like I was talking about shadow banned. I feel like I'm shadow banned on Letterboxd, like <laughs> yeah, because nobody's like reacting to it or liking it. You know, not yeah. that I need that, but it's just like it's just weird, like you know that. Yeah, it's like what's and, going on? Yeah, yeah, and I don't have notifications from from Letterboxd other than when like new people follow me, or actually I don't mm-hmm. I don't even get that anymore sometimes, but um, uh. Like, I don't even realize, like, which reviews of mine are, like, the most popular because, you know, they changed it um, before, like, that would be, like, pinned to your um, your front page on Letterboxd, like, which ones had the most likes. But, you know, I guess to give more um, incentive for the people who pay for it, like, the, the patrons or the the pros on Letterboxd who pay for Letterboxd, um, uh, they get to have that. So now I don't see which reviews of mine actually have the most likes. 
Um, but yeah, for some reason, like all my recent reviews, which I thought was the reason why a lot of people follow me on Letterboxd, like, yeah, nobody's been liking them for some reason. <laughs> oh. Um, maybe you are Shadow Band, yeah. Yeah, maybe. Uh, but yeah, Fuses, yeah, I wrote about it. Uh, cause yeah, like if it's good enough to be on Carlos Canon, it has to be like something I'm passionate about and, and inspires me to, to write. And, um, yeah, it's also fascinating because I I met Carolee Sheenaman um in, in New York uh, when she was uh, with Filmmakers Co-op, and I just remember too how because uh, she was already like a frail old lady, <laughs> and you know she's gorgeous in this movie. You know, I mean, you know, in her youth, like both of them are beautiful. Like you know, you see this mm-hmm. these two beautiful people coupling in this movie uh but yeah i remember her as like this frail <laughs> and then frail is probably the the worst word to use but you know she was just like kind of petite and i just remember she had like this really cozy like um kind of angora cardigan which she left in the offices in in filmmakers co-op because uh you know the the films have to be preserved in a temperature controlled room so that that was still mm-hmm. there she passed away um a couple years ago um, but yeah, her her Angora cardigan is still there in <laughs> in the temperature controlled vault. <laughs> so um, yeah, my friend who actually worked for Filmmakers Co-op, she would wear that cardigan when she's going through the archives. <laughs> okay. uh, but yeah, it was just that contrast of like this older lady like being showing so much sexual candor in this film. <sighs> And yeah, this is the main reason why it's not pornographic, you know, and it's not the most basic thing of like, I remember also when when porn was being defined, you know, when people were defining it, it's like, mm-hmm. oh, I can't define it. You just know it when you see it kind of thing. Uh, mm-hmm. No, I think there, there, there is a line like you can definitely define what's pornographic. Um, and this one actually helps with that argument, which is basically that it's not linear because porn always is linear like you never see experimental porn you know <laughs> like it right. always leads to the climax the money shot the cum shot you yeah. know that's and oh, yeah. yeah this movie doesn't do that like it, it, it i mean i i can't even remember if there is a cum shot in this but uh but yeah it's like because it's intercutting so much and it's doing like really innovative visual techniques because like there's um there's even times where like the the images will like separate in different like squares or diamonds mm-hmm. and yeah and they they so much of, of the film is that it's been touched by the elements you know it's abrasive like it's um it's like scratched against surfaces and it's collecting dust you know so it was just so weird mm. to watch this like re- digital remaster of this film because it's like been cleaned up quote unquote because I remember the 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 version I saw of it too like the projected version was like really pink and that's like part of film's deterioration you know when it starts to lose its color yeah. um but yeah fuses man um uh yeah and just because of the the sexual aspect of it I think that's a good segue uh but yeah do you want to just do quick cuts the book end this oh yeah let's let's get out of here here we go all right cuts <laughs> Okay. All right. So um, yeah, the it's a good segue to a movie that I had brought up in a previous episode, and I didn't realize you would go out yeah. and see it. So uh, yeah. yeah, let's let's talk about David Cronenberg's Crash. Yes, nineteen ninety six Cronenberg. Yes. Written by J. G. Ballard. Yes, the original novel. And it looks like Cronenberg also also has a writing credit on this. Yeah, he um so. 
so J.G. Ballard wrote the novel and Cronenberg wrote the script. He adapted it. Right. Okay. So um, I'm curious to hear what your um, kind of first experiences were with Crash. I think I, I think I might have detailed what mine were on a previous set, but I'll just kind of quickly recap. I think I came across it late night on some on some you know like hbo or showtime or some kind of like you know pay-per-view type channel come across it and like what is this drawn in watch it but i'm but i'm watching it more for like the the young man aspect of it of like wow there's all this (laughs) sex in it this is what year was this steve tell me what year (laughs) so yeah i'm trying to think when would it be on when you know it probably so it came out in 96 so it probably took a couple of years before it was on like one of those types of right. channels so i would say maybe i was probably in college so maybe like okay 2002 to 2003 i'm guessing okay oh four yeah. so you know so something like that and so so yeah i i've never heard of it um i know of cronenberg and i know of um james spader and holly hunter and mm-hmm. so to kind of see them in this kind of movie was a little bit like what like i knew it like it wasn't porn and it's not yeah. softcore because it had like a nice you know it had, it had like good production on it and good acting but it's right. I, but I, but as a young dude i i couldn't figure out what it was and so to hear you pontificate about it over this last year about how much you really like it just kind of jogged it into a different slot for me mentally so right. it, was, it was yeah it was a really fun kind of rewatch because I, I wanted I wanted to rewatch it with that perspective of oh Carlo thinks this is good so maybe <laughs> I should yeah I should lo- I should I should watch it with the filter of this is good and see right. how it kind of comes through um, and yeah I kind like it's not my favorite movie but I I definitely get it I definitely understand mm. what where you're, where you're coming from and I have a different. I have a, just a different way of slotting it in my brain now, which I, I kind of right. appreciate. Yeah, I, I think going into this movie cold is not going to help a lot of people, you know, especially if you're not familiar with Cronenberg's work or even J.G. Ballard. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it, it's hard to, to get into, you know, but um, if you, yeah, if you are aware of just this idea that, okay, the narrative is going to be told through sex scenes, and it's going to almost be like back-to-back sex scenes in the movie. Um, <laughs> yeah. And that it, it's not meant to be erotic, even though some are, you know? Like, I, I definitely think, actually, mm-hmm. um, I'm wondering now what you saw on HBO, if it was the, the, the R-rated version or the NC-17-rated version, if that was even allowed. I like, yeah, I couldn't tell you then, because I only remember yeah. a couple of a couple of the moments. But I think the one right. I, I saw on, on the rewatch was the... F- was the NC-17. Yeah, because full sex scenes are cut out of the, the R-rated version. You know, it's like, it, oh, yeah. it makes no sense because every sex scene is essential in this movie. You can't cut any of the sex scenes out. Yeah, because, uh, it's part of the plot. Yeah. yeah, it really is. Like, you know, it's like, it's it, it, like I, I don't even know, I guess maybe New Line, the, the studio that made mm-hmm. it, like had to have that caveat and I guess they wanted to, have it play in theaters because that is the stigma of the NC-17 rating is that certain movie theaters won't play it, you know. And um, mm-hmm. recently that's kind of been in the news because of um, Blonde, the Netflix movie being NC-17. Oh, so right. yeah, that's been brought up again. 
but yeah, like my initial experience with it was actually, um, I think I brought brought this up before too, that when I was first getting into movies, uh, I got this magazine from my mom actually, I think on my birthday. And I think it was, uh, yeah, 25 years ago. <laughs> so my, oh my, uh, my, uh, my 13th birthday, um, I got um, uh, uh, a copy of Empire Magazine. And it just so happened that their October 1997 issue was their 100th issue. So um, they had a whole section which basically just featured all the movies that they had rated five stars in it. And it even had like a an addendum of like, uh, oh, these are movies that we initially rated five stars, but on second thought, maybe not. And they did like a re-rating. And mm. the one that I remember the most was Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Like they had given it five <laughs> stars when it came out and they re-rated it to four stars. And I was like, come on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's a perfect trilogy. Not fight me on yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> with the ninja rap with the vanilla ice. Anyway. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah. Uh, so Crash was on this um, this like little article. And, you know, they were very short articles. It was like basically like mm-hmm. a summary of the, the, the thing. And I remember that the summary of it was arty sex and rex drama that was the summary of it yeah and then um and then you know it had like a, i guess a quote from the original review that they had um but i can't remember the quote anymore it's just the summary that i remember i was like okay what the hell is this and then you know i was it was only a year removed from when it came out because this was 97 so i still remember that there was that controversy that the city of westminster in london had banned it so i to this day, they still haven't lifted that ban. Like, no movie theater in Westminster can show it in London, uh, which is just crazy to think. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I was definitely curious about it, but I wasn't old enough to watch it. I mean, I was 13. Mm-hmm. And uh, the rating system in the UK is a lot stricter. Like, you know, there's no no such thing as something like R where a parent or guardian can take you. Like, if it's rated 18, it's 18 and above. That's it. And they 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 really check for IDs and stuff. It's not like you can try to pass yourself off because um it it's like bound legally I think. So if a movie theater is caught like letting somebody underage watch a movie, uh yeah they can get fined mm-hmm. and stuff. So mm-hmm. there's all these things. So they take it very seriously over there. Uh, it's not so bad with buying videotapes though. I've gotten away with buying videotapes that were not age appropriate. But yeah. Uh, but yeah, the movie theaters, it was like a strict thing. So I really had to wait. Um, and yeah, I actually also like only got to see it like around 2004. And I think this was uh, oh. its initial DVD release. And it was one of those flipper DVDs where like it, it had both sides. So one side was the R-rated version and one was the NC-17 Ooh. version. Cool. Yeah, and I was curious what the differences were. Um, so I, I mean, I watched the NC-17 version first, uh, but then you know I just wanted to see what was cut out in mm-hmm. the the R-rated version, and it's like probably the best sex scene in the movie. Um, I would mm-hmm. say that that's cut out of the R-rated thing, which we'll we'll get into. But um, yeah, uh, just to set it up, so the idea is basically it's this couple. Um, named James Ballard and Catherine Ballard, which is basically J.G. Ballard's real name and his wife's name in real life. And it was originally (laughs) set in London. And that was what was so, like, you know, I guess surprising about the novel was, like, they were thinking, was he actually doing this with his wife? And he just wrote Mm -hmm. a book about it? Like, he went through this 
this whole experience of like uh fetishizing car crashes so uh i mean you know ultimately it's about like how do couples keep their marriages fresh you know um mm-hmm. and that's one of the things that they do is that they sleep with other people and then they they meet at the end of the day and are turned on by sharing their their sexual <laughs> experiences with other people mm-hmm. and they they still have the stamina at the end of the day to have sex with each other as <laughs> well and that's what you see like that's impressive yeah yeah and the movie is like three sex scene the the start of the movie is three sex scenes back to back but also the interesting thing is that all three sex scenes um and again this is why there's so much thought into it that it's not just sex and you know it doesn't just go to your like um your reptile brain is that one um there's a there's a purpose with like how the sex scenes are shown so they're all from behind you know none of the couples mm-hmm. are facing each other and then two you don't see the sex scenes like play out from beginning to end you know it's either like it gets interrupted or you only see the start mm-hmm. of it like i mean the the introduction to james ballard is fantastic <laughs> he's a producer mm-hmm. on a movie and you kind of see like also they show like the steering wheel on the frame and then it's pushed out so you see that it's like oh this is um this is a film set and mm-hmm. he somebody's looking for him and then he's like in the equipment room or something and yeah. he's <laughs> he's basically eating ass <laughs> of this uh of this uh, uh asian um like uh camera assistant or whatever her yeah. role is uh script girl <laughs> i'm not sure but uh yeah they're like looking for him as like uh yeah we need you james and he's like just a second <laughs> yeah uh, it's brilliant, and you know this was like the rise of uh of James Spader, the perv. You know, <laughs> like this was yeah. really it. Like, because uh, um, I mean, you know, he was a perv with his uh earlier role in Sex Lies and Videotape, but then he kind of became, you know, uh, a wholesome guy. I mean, you know, I remember him from Stargate. That was the movie that you know Stargate. I first saw him yeah. in, and then uh, he was also in that. Uh, um, wasn't he in a? Or am I mixing him up with Kurt Russell? Um, was he an executive decision? Probably not. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was Kurt Russell. Um, but yeah, like, you know, he was in, in wholesome movies. <laughs> but like, oh, yeah. uh, I think Crash cemented his reputation as, you know, everybody's favorite movie uh, perv. Just and also, dog, yeah. Yeah, but he's also like very good looking, you know, he's he's got that kind of, uh, disaffected kind of you know not quite there aspect mm-hmm. you know he's coolly detached and so yeah. is the actress who's um uh, playing his wife I mean it's great casting like Deborah Kara Unger who um mm-hmm. I'd seen previously in uh in the game the David Fincher movie that is mm-hmm. still very underrated like I think because uh you know he made it in between uh seven and fight club so it's not as sensational as either of those two but I think it's a very good movie, and she's great in in the game. But it was just shocking, also her like kind of revealing herself as much as she does in this movie. You know, I mean, she does like basically mm-hmm. full frontal yeah. nudity. Um, well, everything, yeah. I mean, in her, her her opening sex scene, you know, you see her rear. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so yeah, they they basically. Um, go on this journey where uh james ballard gets into an accident and um he has to like recoup and he gets involved with um 
the person he crashes into, which is uh, Holly Hunter, uh, uh, and her character I think is named uh, Doctor Helen Remington, mm-hmm. and even the yeah the that's the first kind of when when they initially have the car crash, which is a very violent car crash by the way. Like uh, she's yeah. driving with her husband, and the husband bursts through uh, the windshield, yeah. yeah, and dies instantly. And it's like the mm. the first sexual thing that you see relating to the car crash is when she removes her seatbelt. Like she also opens her top and like accidentally mm-hmm. reveals her boob, uh, mm-hmm. or unintentionally reveals her boob. And you know the way yeah. that she looks at him, like directly at him, like you know he it's just really this fascination. Is he like aroused? But he's also in a lot of pain because you see, and this is the body horror aspect that the. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Cronenberg was kind of moving away from already at this point in his career, but you you know you could still see elements of it. So like, his leg needs a lot of like these metal pins in them, which is just crazy. You know, just the way that it looks like. Yeah. You know, and and Cronenberg has delved into like medical, like grotesquerie with um with the uh, Dead Ringers before too. So yeah, he's definitely fascinated by that. Mm. And then, yeah, they encounter this guy named Vaughn, who's, like, heavily scarred, played by, excuse me, Elias Codius, who's, um, this is one of my favorite actors, too. He was great in, um, in The Adjuster, which, um, I appear actually on Brandon's, uh, podcast, Losing Track, and we talk about The Adjuster. Um, and he's, uh, Casey Jones in the Ninja Turtles movies. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah, so, um. Yeah. When when oh, they're inter- oh wow he was in the third red line too. yes yes he was yeah he was one of the shoulders too yeah he he's one of those guys he's just like you yeah. know um in a bunch of things and rarely given the lead that's why he's so good in the adjuster because he's the lead in that movie you know when he's given that chance um he's mm-hmm. fantastic um and so yeah they're introduced to Vaughn and then Vaughn basically leads them into this world of. Because uh, Vaughn's thing is basically doing these yeah. illegal, like, recreation of celebrity car crashes. <laughs> and the first one that we see is the the James Dean uh, mm-hmm. car crash, which I, I never knew the details of. Like, I actually thought initially he just, um, he, he crashed a car on his own. Like, he lost control of the car. I didn't know he had crashed into that college student. Um, and then, yeah, uh he died from it and i think the college student and his um his mechanic survived but ironically the the mechanic actually died later on in another car crash you know mm-hmm. <laughs> which is just man <laughs> like you survive one oh and just a, oh sorry just a weird related thing uh to triangle of sadness uh, uh the one of the lead actresses who plays the girlfriend uh charles b I'm blanking on her last name. Um, hold on. I should just bring it up. Uh, so in Triangle of Sadness, uh, there's this actress, Charles B. Um, Charles B. Dean. And I remember reading the trivia for, for Triangle of Sadness that it said it's Charles B. Dean's last movie. And I was like, what? Like, she's so young. Oh. How can it be her last movie? So she was also in a car crash. And um, she didn't die from the car crash. Um, what she ended up dying from was actually... Um, uh, so she had like uh, surgery, and in the movie in in Triangle of Sadness, you kind of see her surgical scar down her belly, mm-hmm. and um, mm-hmm. I guess they they fucked it up or something, and uh, she had complications with her spleen, and like she just wasn't feeling well one day, and they brought her to the hospital, and she died. 
Um, so yeah, really sad. And yeah, just this whole aspect of of car crashes. Like, I mean, you know, when I when I saw this movie, I wasn't driving yet. Like, I didn't know how to drive. So car crashes were like this foreign thing. And you know, when you see a car crash in a movie, it's always done in a very sensational way. You know, obviously, you know, yeah. they got to make it visual. And you know, um, I I know stunt uh, drivers love flipping cars. You know? <laughs> but uh, I think Cronenberg uh, purposely for this movie wanted the car crashes to be less sensational like the the idea is is the aftermath you know and like the consequences of the car crash more than the car crash itself because you know i i don't know have you ever been in a car accident steve I'm just um i i rear-ended oh man a car when i was um 16 going maybe we were slowing down so i was maybe going maybe 20 miles an hour maybe 30 mm. But yeah, it's like it's it's pretty jarring, and yep. so. But yeah, I've never I've never been in one going high speeds locally. Right. Yeah, and it, yep. it's weird though, right? Yeah, when you experience it, it's like it it's like a thud, like it's a muted thud. <laughs> That's what yeah. a car crash feels like, not like the you know the smashing of metal and breaking glass <laughs> that it yeah. usually is in movies. Yeah, and yeah I, it's like it's like it it was like an aggravating feeling, like hey, like what's, right, like what's stopping my body here? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you know, um, especially now with the presence of like dash cam footage, like mm-hmm. you know, I watch a lot of that on YouTube, and you can just see like it's a dull thud usually when the accident happens, and right. you know, um, and the way that these cameras record sound, that makes it even more removed from that, especially when it's a really bad accident, you know, um. Uh, the sound kind of becomes even more muffled and you know sometimes the camera falls yeah. and you know starts doing a flip and turns upside down or something uh but yeah I, i've been in a couple of crashes <laughs> you know and uh, i've walked away unscathed yeah. i actually was in an accident uh last year uh and oh, it yeah. happened like right in my parking lot <laughs> as i was driving away like somebody backed into me and like totally mm-hmm. like actually totaled my car going 15 oh, miles an hour yeah <laughs> oh yeah that's crazy yep um yeah so that happened to me but my worst accident was actually um i crashed in the middle barrier of uh, the 405 uh right by the the skirball getty exit heading to the valley you know that rise from ucla you know from westwood when you're just going up over the Mm -hmm. hill and then you know it splits into the 101 um Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had an accident there. I was like going home from like a meeting with Filmmakers Alliance, I remember, and uh um yeah, my 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 rear tire blew out and I did a number 7 and I crashed into the barrier. Of, oh. <laughs> of um, wow. Yeah, the 405. And this was before the 405 had a carpool lane. So, you know, you um people who were just on the left side were driving fast. So, I was very lucky, you know, I didn't crash through the windshield onto oncoming traffic mm-hmm. on the other side and then also no other cars crashed into me because that could have happened too like people were successfully were able to avoid me um mm-hmm. yeah. but yeah that was that was really jarring and you know i i wear glasses so um my glasses flew off uh, <laughs> uh that was a, one of the things and i think i hit my knee on the steering wheel but it wasn't too bad uh because yeah there weren't like any lingering in injuries but uh the craziest thing about that night was also that um there were like these good samaritans who like showed up you know because i was on the phone with the insurance you know basically like hey i crashed i need you know to get towed or whatever 
and they were like, "Are you okay, man?" Like they just suddenly showed up on my window, like wrapping up my charger. Yeah. And they had like this massive pickup truck, you know, one of those ones where you, you know you have to like step mm-hmm. up to get into it. Um, mm-hmm. and they were they basically like one of them got into my car and they used the pickup truck to shield it and uh, drive it off the road onto the shoulder uh off wow. the freeway yeah it was incredible and they were just making sure it was okay like they you know they and they they seem it like uh, if i was just judging i would say they they seemed like they were douchey dudes but they you know that sure. really changed my perception you know and i remember yeah. they were asking so so what happened and like they there was a girl in the the pickup truck too and when i was telling them what happened she was more kind of like panicking than I was and like you know uh-huh. one of the guys was like hugging her because she was like oh yeah. no what happened because especially when I told them that I, I lost my glasses you know uh like I, yeah I usually wear glasses because so everything was blurry and oh, wow. <laughs> and that really made her nervous and I'm like yeah, yeah but I'm that's fine. So funny yeah so yeah that was that was the worst accident I've ever been in <laughs> yeah and survived yeah and walked yeah away, right it wasn't an accident, but yeah, the last, the worst car thing I was in, I was, um, I was driving back from San Diego to, to LA and it was at night and it was, I think it had just started raining. So it was like within the first 30 minutes of rain, you know, when like all the oils get kicked up off the road. Yeah. Oh, that's slick. the worst. Yeah. And so oh, and it's been I'm raining like, recently and, and I'm in like my old kind of light, it was a very lightweight pickup truck. Um, you know, it just very, it just just kind of felt like the kind of car that would skid mm-hmm. and so i i'm in the process of trying to slow down so like i'm going 65 but i but, but i'm feeling like you know it's raining pretty hard i should probably right. come down and at some point in slowing down the car hydroplanes and oh no i end up and so you know the the i'm on the five and the five i think at, at this point is maybe like a four or a five lane highway but luckily there's no one right. around me because it's, it's late at oh, night, yeah. but I'm I think I'm in lane I'm in the second lane from the right, and I end up spinning around and I end up kind of um, I think I I do a, a the car does I think a two seventy, so you know oh, like boy. almost a full three sixty sixty yeah uh, it doesn't flip, but I end up in the in the far left shoulder or you mm. know so like I I don't hit anything but I go across all the lanes. And so Damn. that was enough to like really freak me out. I like got off at the, the next exit and just hung out at, at a gas station for like a half hour just to like, <laughs> just, gather just yourself, to, like yeah. to calm down. Oh man. Yeah, for sure. Oh boy. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Hydroplanes, man. Yeah. I'm, I'm terrified of that. I mean, I even experienced something where it's like close to it where, you know, when it's raining and you're at a light and then, you know, it turns green and then, you know, when you, step on the gas the car just like kind of rolls the wheels but you don't move forward like that's mm-hmm. terrifying to me and then the water splashes oh like man yeah, yeah. so to lose control like that oh man well <laughs> you know um, i'm yeah. glad we're both still standing we both survived yeah. <laughs> those experiences made it through um yeah yeah and, and and we're not addicted to like car accident sex or anything so yeah <laughs> yeah yeah okay. the, that didn't change well because i didn't I didn't uh, crash into a hot doctor, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. That would change with a, a, it. Yeah, with a southern charm accent. Um, yeah, and so like, uh, yeah, I was saying with the going back to crash, the um, the whole thing with 
the narrative being you know dictated through the sex scenes like even the the non-sex scene scenes mm-hmm. inform that because you know it's always like leading to something like there, there's always a purpose mm-hmm. to every scene so uh when you know the vaughn and his uh the the guy who was playing the the mechanic are recovering uh they're watching like car crash footage um in in uh, i guess that's vaughn's house and um yeah, and yeah, they're 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 getting turned on by it, and uh, James Ballard doesn't understand why, you know, and that that's like a consistent thing mm-hmm. with him throughout the whole film is that, um, you know, it's like this idea of interrogating your desire, so you know you don't understand it, but you're drawn to it, you know, mm-hmm. um, yeah, and so yeah, it, it leads them into that world, and you know, just another example of these back to back sex scenes. So the first um sex scene that James Ballard has with um with Dr. Remington it's it's so passionate and quick like you know uh it's just basically like yeah we you know it's like this animal desire we have to like just do it now because yeah, I think they end up doing it like in the the airport parking lot mm-hmm. um and uh it's the first sex scene where they're facing each other and then it cuts to the sex scene he's having with his wife uh, with um, Catherine Ballard, and now they're both facing each other, you know, versus right. the first time we see them have sex, like it's from behind and it's on their balcony. Behind, yeah, on the balcony. Yeah, and uh, that's another like line in the movie that I really like is like you know when they say like they she kind of observes that there's more cars now on the road, mm-hmm. which is you know uh, so like emblematic now of, of California. Especially SoCal is like, yeah, mm-hmm. that's why the freeways are falling apart is because they're not designed to take these many cars. Um, and that, yeah, there's a lot of accidents happening, especially because, you know, pre-pandemic, uh, well, mm-hmm. after the pandemic, you know, a lot of people weren't driving. So now they've forgotten how to drive. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. The stupid accidents happen. And I, I think that might have actually, because, yeah, last year, it wasn't just me. Like two other friends also got into accidents as well. So um yeah there oh, was wow. something going around you know um but yeah I, I was yeah I will also say just as an aside to uh Dara Kara Unger in this movie is just gorgeous you know it's like oh, sure. uh, her yeah. yeah her performance and just like yeah the way she whispers her her dialogue and her blonde locks and <laughs> I remember you know when it, it reaches the sex scene that I'm, I that I'm mentioning which is the best sex scene in the movie um and a pivotal one uh mm-hmm. it like david cronenberg in the in the commentary is saying like um uh it was so hard to choreograph that sex scene because her hair had to be spread out on the pillows and um you know like how they had to get that to match you know when they would cut oh my god <laughs> it was so difficult you know uh but yeah the sex scene i'm talking about which is also i think one of the few sex scenes in the movie that's like shown from beginning to end um mm-hmm. is uh is the one where they're both in bed and this is the one that's cut out of the R-rated version which is like how right. does the movie even make sense after this uh mm-hmm. because it's the one where they're they're actually engaging in dialogue while they're having sex and they're talking about like basically how they're turned on by Vaughn like Vaughn is right. like the 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 third person there <laughs> in this right. uh this sex scene and you know it, it's again done from behind and um you know it, that's the thing like uh, this is 
Um, like Cronenberg never shows full nudity in the sex scenes. Like it's always partial. Like you know, some sometimes a character only takes down their pants, or like you know, mm-hmm. uh, you see, uh, like. Yeah, a lot of times they're not fully naked in in mm-hmm. the sex scenes, and this one like they're both naked, but she's like hugging a pillow, so she's covering her her boobs, and um and yeah, like uh, I guess the lower regions are kind of dark in the scene, but you know they're they're yeah. both naked and he's taking it from behind, and yeah, they just find themselves like gradually getting more and more turned on talking about Vaughn. And they're speculating about him, like, you know. And, you know, the dialogue actually out of context sounds really funny. Like, you know, the, the things that she's right. asking. It's like, uh, you know, uh, you know, would you suck him off? <laughs> so, like, uh, yeah, yeah, it's like, basically, yeah, it's basically talking about James being with him. Right. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. like, um, are you turned on by him? And he's like, no. But when he's in that car... <laughs> Because yeah, uh, Vaughn like drives like one of those old like really long convertible cars. Yeah, um, like a boat. Yeah, and yeah. he he doesn't really take care of it. Obviously, he's crashed it a few times. Yeah, and it it makes a lot of noise. And um, uh, and yeah, like uh, and then yeah, she says like uh, you know um, she he he must be like he's got a lot of scars. You know, like they talk about that, and then. She's like, um, uh, yeah, this, this is one of the funnier parts, too, of the dialogue where she's like, uh, um, yeah, do you think he's circumcised? And, like, uh, she says, uh, if, if you were to grab his penis, would you, uh, like, kiss it? Or would you <laughs> would you suck it right away? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. And then, yeah, yeah the... It, when it reaches then, its then, Yeah, I, I think, is that what makes it NC-17 is them discussing... Oh, like, and I mean the sex scene is pretty explicit. Gay sex, yeah, but it's almost like, it's almost like at the time that that they didn't want gay sex like made so explicit or something. Like, like oh I, I yeah, do yeah, wonder why, sure. like why it was like, you know, like because it's visually not that graphic, but it's mm-hmm. what they're, but it's what they're alluding to that. It's like mm. I wonder if, the, if if the censors at the time were like very prudish on that kind of stuff well yeah, yeah there, there's a really great documentary called uh, this film is not yet rated which is all about how arbitrary the mpaa mm-hmm. is in terms of like rating okay. movies and how a movie can end up getting an nc-17 rating and um mm-hmm. one of the things is i guess they they count the thrusts you know if you're showing oh. too much thrusting in a movie that can lead you to have an nc-17 rating interesting you know? Yeah, so I mean, you know, because it, yeah. it's the sex scene shown from beginning oh. to end, you know, I feel like yeah, yeah, and that's why yeah, it's cut out of um of the R-rated version. Um, but yeah, like you know, when they finally reach the climax, it's like she's like, you know, do you know what semen tastes like? Yeah, <laughs> some semen is uh is saltier than others. Vaughn yeah. semen must be very salty. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how they climax it's like it's brilliant yeah. amazing sex scene um yeah yeah so but yeah, yeah like, it, it, like i i do wonder how, yeah, how many of the sex scenes is there an actual climax in i feel like i think that, that's the only one uh, that, that one, and then the, the first remington the the first one with yeah the whole, uh, when they're in the Hunter. car yeah um, maybe the one where he has it with Ro- Rosanna Arquette, actually, which is the most like I guess twisted, yeah, <laughs> sex scene, and that's leading to the bar- body horror thing because he yeah. he 
he basically fucks her wound. <laughs> yeah, her you leg. Know, uh, yeah. yeah, because uh, and it, it looks like vaginal, like her wound yeah. is like, you know. Um, and yeah, uh, we didn't even mention this. So Rosanna Arquette is in this movie and she's um, she obviously has gotten mangled from from a car mm. accident. So she has to like wear a body brace, a leg brace. And, you know, um, she's on crutches as well. And James Ballard is just turned on by this. But yeah, the, I mean, the whole thing is just basically leading up to uh, one of two things. One is that, you know, James Ballard eventually uh, gets with Vaughn. And um, mm-hmm. yeah, they, they have that, that that scene together, you know, which mm-hmm. is just like, I guess, a natural progression of, of what was happening and him kind of interrogating his desire. And then, yeah. Him also having sex with um with Roseanne Arquette's wound, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, with her leg is um is crazy, um, yeah, yeah, and um, you know, I mean, the the movie also does it is also about the, those celebrity car crashes because Vaughn talks about recreating Jane Mansfield's the car Mansfield crash. One. Yeah. Yeah, and like uh his his friend, I forget his name, but he's like I'm looking forward to having tits up to here. Like <laughs> saying that. Seagrave? Something like yeah, that. Yeah, Seagrave. Yeah, yeah, Seagrave. Oh, yeah, yeah, fantastic character. He plays um uh in the James Dean car crash, he plays the the mechanic Rolf Vudrick. I love how he says the name. Yeah. Rolf Vudrick, who was imported directly by uh Porsche, you know. <laughs> Like, I guess that must be nice. I've realized that, too. This is a freaky thing. This is probably why I'll never own a Porsche house. How many Porsche car accidents there have been, Yeah, you know, and celebrity deaths. I mean, you know, Paul Walker being the most recent Mm -hmm. example. Mm -hmm. It's just, man, I I never want to drive a Porsche. It's scary. Yeah. McLaren's all the way, baby. Yeah. (laughs) That's what I'm driving. And, I mean, even um, uh, speaking of celebrities, uh, Anne Heche. Well, it wasn't a Porsche. She was driving a Mini. But you remember what happened with her? No, what happened? Oh, so Anne H died this year. So she actually initially survived the car crash, but then she died a few days later. Oh, um, okay. Yeah, she was driving her Mini uh, in Santa Monica, and she crashed into a house. Oh, my God. Uh, and she was, like, I guess going at a really fast speed, you know, Um and uh yeah she didn't sur- survive like she was mm-hmm. i guess she was in a hospital in a coma and she had like really terrible injuries and i guess they just decided to um cut the yeah. life support for her Whew. um yeah. but yeah it's this whole thing i mean i guess this is the perverse part with the the celebrity car crashes because you know it's this idea of these beautiful people getting mangled you know Mm-hmm. and maimed you know um and i guess you know we can even see something like that in uh in quentin tarantino's death proof you know the first crash that he does and he, yeah. he basically cuts off one of the the girl's legs and yeah it's oh pretty horrible yeah, yeah um that's a sydney potier that's actually her name too she's sydney potier's daughter but she's also named sydney potier which is just weird that's the actress's <laughs> name or no way yeah, and we actually used to go to the same gym in North Hollywood too. I remember she's very tall. Yeah, she's taller oh, wow. than me. Yeah, um, yeah, but yeah, the I I think she has a middle name. I forgot what it was, but yes, her name is also Sydney Poitier. Um, That's awesome. Yeah, but uh, yeah, the, that type of car crash because you know, I mean, the specific one they didn't even really mention what happened to to Jane Mansfield, but uh, that was the whole thing. Like they actually said that the 
with her um she got decapitated like uh from like her forehead you know mm-hmm. because uh you know her blonde hair was like separated from the rest of her head you oh. know yeah and cuz her crash was she crashed into the back of a like a semi like mm-hmm. a truck and um they that's why they now have that barrier like they created that like i think it's now nicknamed the mansfield barrier because you know just so people when they crash they rear end the truck that doesn't happen again you know jesus yeah but yeah it's like um that that kind of is the the aspect of it it's like you know the 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 attraction to sex and violence mm-hmm. um but kind of putting yourself in harm's way um to get to that point and then you know also you know the things that you do to keep you know your your marriage mm-hmm. going the you know the spark alive whatever it is but they go into this really dark world and you know what i love about the movie is that it feels like a dream you know yeah the David Cronenberg, i have yeah. that in my notes too is that it feels like a dream yeah just even them looking out on their balcony and that whole exchange of like eh, it seems like there's more cars out these days <laughs> you know mm-hmm. um yeah, and and something that you mentioned in previous pods is um is the mood and the mm-hmm. atmosphere is really good. Yeah. Like just the tone, obviously the music, I could play a little bit of it here. Just like you you add this in and it just sets a vibe. And especially yeah. with the dialogue that they chose, you know, like the very kind of whispery. Right. Of, you know, what does his semen taste like? <laughs> you know, like all like like yeah. you can just like you can whisper almost anything on right. the, to this kind of a vibe, and it would work. I like I'm always curious, like if you yeah if, I don't know like like do you have any like lyrics lyrics to like a favorite Wu Tang song or something? Like I wonder if that would work o- over the crash. You know <laughs> what I mean? Yeah, I mean that is the funny thing. Well, first I, I'd like to mention I love how you use this music uh, on your Kai episode. Oh uh, I, when you were doing the the game show, I was like, "Damn, he's using the crash music." Cause the, yeah, because it works. You know, it's, it's like that, that ticking clock pressure type of music. It can feel like that. It's like you got to come up with the answer. Um, but yeah, let's just say the score is by Howard Shore, who uh, mm-hmm. is an incredible uh, composer. Um, he's worked with Cronenberg on several movies. He also did the score for The Fly, and um, oh. Naked Lunch was like a collaboration with. Um, uh, with Ornette Coleman, and it's one of my favorite scores, you know. Um, it's good. and uh, he, yeah, he also did the score for. I think he's won an Oscar for his scores for the Lord of the Rings movies. Um, mm. so yeah, he's a great composer, and uh, yeah, that that music sets the tone because it also again, uh, Cronenberg uh allows the atmosphere to establish through the credits with that music, and then the you know the how the credits are like done in this kind of broken chrome graphic, mm-hmm. you know? And then, yeah. yeah, he, he lets the credits like come to you as if like, you know, it's traffic oncoming traffic. Um, yeah. And it's just fantastic. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I mean, I guess one of the last things I will say about this is that, uh, Cronenberg really is a great adapter of, of literature and like books, like, because he has that understanding. And I might've mentioned this in previous pods before, that um and one of my favorite quotes of his is like in order to be faithful to the book you must betray it mm-hmm. and he understands that you know like the i actually have the screenplay of crash and it's super thin 
like it's such a short short mm-hmm. screenplay because you know he he knows that it's like he he's going to get certain elements from the book he doesn't have to adapt the book beat by beat like he doesn't have to show every scene and i think mm-hmm. him narrowing it down to this idea of like okay it's just going to be mostly consecutive sex scenes and then the the scenes in between are actually just informing those those sex mm-hmm. scenes like once he figured that out like yeah the the movie um uh like it works you know yeah for that so yeah he, he's really one of our great adapters yeah. even though like um yeah i don't know he, he hasn't really made a movie lately that i've really liked even though you know crimes of the future came out earlier this year and most people have already forgotten it um mm-hmm. uh, i mean there was aspects of it that i enjoyed i mean it, it's kind of a comeback movie for him but i haven't really liked any of his movies since like history of well no let's say eastern promises yeah eastern, eastern promises, promises was gonna be the one yeah yeah, yeah. um but yeah that th- those two films he made with vigo are great and i mean yeah. you know I, i've heard good things with some people who do champion a dangerous method but yeah i, I like that collaboration the two of them uh, working together so yeah yeah cool um All so right. I, I, have, I have just a question do you know how mm-hmm. many sex scenes there are in this movie i counted them. <laughs> oh my god no you tell me i don't know how many there okay um there are 15 so 15? Here, here they are. oh man okay so so there's the hanger scene you know the yep. opening hanger scene then you got uh james with the camera girl james and catherine on the balcony James and Catherine uh, doing the soap hand job in the hospital. Oh, shit. I forgot about that one. (laughs) Yeah, it's a good one. James and and the doctor in the car facing forward. James and Catherine facing forward. Um, uh, I wrote this. I wrote that like after they're, yeah, they have sex, but they don't have an orgasm. Mm -hmm. Um, I think in that, and then they have, so the seventh scene is, James and Catherine again having hard sex talking about Vaughn and then that's yeah. when they yeah, do the get best the best <laughs> Then you got James and and the doctor again real quick doing it from behind in the car but no climax. Yeah, yeah. I, I like that one too because it's like she's like, Did you come? And he's like, I'm good. Yeah, and he's like <laughs> I'm he's like, all right. yeah, I'm okay. It's like, oh it's like, oh, huh. <laughs> and then she just gets off. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Vaughn and the prostitute while james drives mm. oh yeah that has another classic line where he's like uh can you take out your gum i don't want you to be blowing it down my urethra right <laughs> yeah uh james oh, and Catherine man. in the car wash so, so no I'm, I'm sorry vaughn and vaughn and Catherine. oh in the car yeah wash. which like uh, uh sorry we we glossed over this i'm glad that you're doing this breakdown actually because you know this is better than a, a scene by scene thing because you know, <laughs> it, it really summarizes it but yeah that scene, okay, so the first time I saw it, like, I thought, you know, because he, he's watching, James is in the driver's seat, and he's watching them through the rearview mirror, right? Mm-hmm. And they're going through this car, brash, uh, car wash, which is, like, the slowest car wash yeah. ever. <laughs> like, car washes do not take that long. Like, you can't have sex unless you're you're going for a quickie. Uh, yeah. but, but, you know, I, I had no idea that he was actually hurting her. Until, like, right. yeah, you see, you know, her lying naked in the bed with all the bruises over her body. Mm-hmm. And he's like, what? Like, man, you know? Yeah. 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 That's a jarring one for sure. Yeah. In- in- interesting one. And then, yeah. And then you have James and Catherine in bed immediately after. I think 
I think that's a sex scene. I, I, like in my memory right now, I'm kind of like maybe they were just like cuddling. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, um, I, I, yeah, because she was just too bruised up. But she's, yeah, she's completely naked. Yeah, you see her from okay. head to toe with bruises. Right, yeah, you know what? I'm gonna eliminate that one. So, yeah. <laughs> so they think the official count's gonna go down to 14. Yeah, 14. Okay. All right. Th- then we get um James and Patricia Arquette doing the leg wound. Um, yeah. Then you get <laughs> you get Vaughn and James, which which we talked yeah. about, mm-hmm. and then at then um, the last two, you see, you quickly see Doctor Remington and Patricia Arquette starting to kind of hook up in Vaughn's car after Vaughn dies. Oh wow! Um, okay. And then the last one is James and Catherine in the ditch. Yes, after their car crash, and uh, yeah, and a great yeah. uh, line to end on the. Maybe next time. Maybe the next Maybe time. Maybe next or, time, yeah. Yeah, so good. Um, wow, that's great that you compiled that. <laughs> yeah. So um, the, the the only other just like quick things that, that, that I had left, um, just kind of like things I noticed. Um, one, yeah, where are the bystanders and the police <laughs> around some of these crashes? Because like there's a scene where they sneak up on a car crash Mm-hmm. They drive like it's it's um they drive. Yeah, Vaughn is Vaughn. taking photos, right? Yeah, he's yeah, and they like can just easily pull over, mm-hmm. hang out, and start taking photos with the people in the accident. Like I don't know, right? Like I guess I guess that could happen. It just seems pretty far fetched that like they would be allowed to just start interacting with everyone. Um, in yeah, the the I mean, is it? Is it like the chaos of a car accident like that, where it's like you know, I guess yeah. when somebody dies, uh, yeah, that they're they're so focused on like I guess getting them out of there. I mean, you know, the mm-hmm. the other thing that fascinates me too, like just a, a detail of of a car crash is um, you know, when when they have to pry people out of the cars, they use a device mm-hmm. called the jaws of life, mm-hmm. you know, and mm-hmm. um. And yeah, maybe it's just all that stress. And I don't know, maybe in Canada, they just do things differently. Like you can <laughs> approach a scene and, you know, or uh, I guess my, my interpretation of it initially was that um, uh, that they just thought uh, Vaughn was the crime scene photographer. Yeah. And that's why, because, you know, he had like a professional camera, you know, an SLR right. camera and with a massive flash so they you know and the way that he was taking the photos it it seemed like he wasn't taking it out of perversity even though you could read it in his face mm-hmm. but he still looked like he was taking it like he was he belonged there right. you know yeah yeah totally so yeah <laughs> but yeah interesting observation and then um yeah the um there there's a scene oh i think after there's a scene when um it's after vaughn crashes into Oh no! I think James and Catherine are coming out of a building, and they go to her car, and they notice her car has been hit. Mm. And he, there's a James like feels he feels the dent with his hand, and he goes, "It's Vaughn." Oh <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> like he, he just he just knew from feeling it, you know. Right. Um, I, I like that part. And then, um, oh, you know, so obviously the opening scene, Catherine's having sex with a guy in a airplane hangar is she is she in flight school like, is that <laughs> like a detail a, oh my god that's hilarious oh my god i didn't even think of that yeah like why does it take place in a hangar <laughs> yeah like maybe maybe she's just you know because um i guess it's implied later on when you see her like in in james's office that they work together 
Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I, I'm just wondering what her role is. Does she like do research or go out and location scout maybe? <laughs> and maybe yeah. she was scouting the hangar because hangars are very popular for like shoots, you know, because it, it's like an enclosed oh, right, space yeah. and you can dress mm-hmm. it up. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, most sound stages are actually hangers, you know. Um, They really have high ceilings where you can hang stuff from, like lights and stuff. And, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, maybe she was location scouting uh, for James's next uh, movie where he can perv on, you know, young, nubile crew members. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Um, Uh, Yeah. Oh, just another fascinating thing when, when you did the total tally of 14 sex scenes. Uh, <laughs> it's it's just a weird connection through like um you know the dating app uh, OkCupid. There's mm-hmm. actually because you know the way you find a match on OkCupid is like you answer like these survey questions and then it determines your match with somebody with like somebody who has the same answers as you. So it's like a percentage. Mm-hmm. But I just remember because there's so many stupid questions in this survey. But one of them is like. How do you feel about somebody who's had 14 partners, oh. <laughs> like sexual partners, you know? Yeah. So that's the question. So, you know, the answers were like, because it's multiple choice. Um, So the answers yeah. would be like, uh, uh, that seems about right. Uh, <laughs> or like, uh, that, or that seems normal. Uh, or one would mm-hmm. be like, that's too many. Or, yeah. you know, or I don't know. I, I, no answer. You know, sometimes that's an option. Yeah. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, that, this is what I remember. So 14 sex scenes, 14 different partners. Oh, okay. That's <laughs> yeah, a even key though. key number. Okay, the key number in sex and football. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. That, yeah, such a strange thing. Yeah, multiples of seven. Um, But yeah, 14. Yeah, like how did... Okay, Cupid, come up with that. Like, why is fourteen? I guess yeah, yeah, maybe that is like a national average or something. But well, it's like you have to imagine that yeah, that they they either had a conversation around a board meeting and, and was like, okay, what number do we feel comfortable setting the setting the bar at? Mm. Where it's like if you're if you go over it, will will a lot of people think fourteen is high or low? And like, um, but you're but you're probably right. Rather than that, they probably did look it up. Mm. They probably did Google it and and find some like reference <laughs> for it. So I guess uh, Steve, you know, uh, we should end it by asking: um, Is Crash a keeper? Well, good, good, good question. Um, I I really enjoyed watching it. However, I don't I don't think I need to see this again. So I think for me, it's <laughs> definitely it's not a keeper. It's like it's good. I'm okay. happy I saw it, but it's like. Um, it's fun to talk about. I'll tell you th- sure. that much. Um, wait, hold on. I I, I do just uh, want to read this this one. Um, I was looking at the trivia, and okay. um, there's a J- there's a James Spader quote in here. I guess uh, the moment Cronen- David Cronenberg knew he had the right lead, um, and that James Spader didn't need convincing, was. Um, James Spader was curious about, he asked, he asked Cronenberg about who else is going to fill out this cast? Because after all, I get to fuck everybody in the movie, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. He's incredible. Okay. Yeah. Uh, to add to that, by the way, um, yeah. <laughs> because of the controversy of the movie, you know, all, a lot of the Q and A's and press conferences for these movies are very contentious, you know, the, mm. and, and, James Spader is in them, like the the Cannes press conference, which is I think included in the Criterion um, 
Blu-ray. Uh, like uh, he, there's this question that's asked is like, oh, why is it like disproportionate? Like the the female nudity in the movie, and the the male nudity in the movie. Like there's no like you know full frontal male nudity in the movie, and uh, like um, James Spader says, can I get this one? Like you know he's like he steps yeah. in and he's like, okay, so it has something to do with geography. So you know when the penis is inside the vagina, you don't see it. So therefore, you don't see it. Like, <laughs> and that's what he says. Like, oh my god, this guy's brilliant. You know, he's um, he will yeah he, yeah he he's aware of, of of how he comes off and his like uh his persona. It's like that's yeah, really good. What a legend! And you know now yeah he's like got a career as a, a TV actor, but yeah. he's like balding. He's mainstream. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. But Shout yeah, he's, he's still got it, man. Um, King Perv. What? So, so what do you think? Is is this a keeper for you? I, I, I believe you've already said it is. Um, no, I actually haven't. <laughs> oh. Um, yeah, and I actually don't think it is either. Um, oh, okay. For the longest time, yeah, I, I believe that this was um uh Cronenberg's best movie. You know, like mm-hmm. I, I, and the first time I saw it, it just blew me away. Like I was like, yeah, this is unequivocally masterpiece. You know, like I, you know, this is a masterpiece. I got a, uh, like I, I tabled it, but this was like before History of yeah. Violence and Eastern Promises came out. And then I also remember, and I guess this is like a TMI detail. The first time I saw it, I was a virgin. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> so th- that, that definitely has an effect on, on, I guess, how oh, you yeah. see it. Um, yeah. so like, you know, over the years, you know, um, 25 years later or, or whatever, I didn't see it 25 years ago, maybe 20 years later. Um, <laughs> like, uh, yeah, you're more experienced. So you have something to compare it to yeah. and not to say that, yeah, it, it, it needs to be about that, but it just like, it doesn't hold up. Like, I, I mean, the whole thing was, um, uh, I, I finally got to see it on the big screen, like projected on film, like when I was in New mm-hmm. York. And I came away from that screening wondering, I was like, why don't I like this as much as I used to anymore? Mm-hmm. You know, and I just don't think it 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 holds up after that first viewing. Like the first viewing is it. Yeah. And that, that's something I've been thinking about more and more now, like movies that are just like they're they're good for one viewing, but mm-hmm. eh, they're not good for repeat viewings. And this movie's kind of like that to me. You know, it's yeah. um, yeah, it just will never hold up to that first time I saw it, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's yeah. it's almost like because the first time you were watching it, it's like a dream. Like you're saying, it's like a dream unfolding mm. and unraveling. Right. And the second time, you kind of know where it's going, mm. and it's maybe yeah. I I can't explain because I mean it it, it everything kind of looks right. It, it maybe yeah. looks a little like digital. Like it doesn't quite look at times. It could look sharper, I guess, in a way. Mm. But um, but I yeah I can't yeah, articulate I mean, there, it. Yeah, I, I will say to the technical aspect of that, there is like a 4K Blu-ray that exists now. I haven't seen it because it, it's like it was like released in the UK. It's like an mm-hmm. Arrow version. I only have the Criterion Blu-ray. I don't think they released it in 4K. But mm-hmm. the 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 Criterion Blu-ray looks really good. Okay, I will cool. say that about it. You know, there's there's no faulting the 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 cinematography. I mean that that was a cinematographer Cronenberg uh, worked with a lot. Uh, Peter Shuzitsky, and he's great. Uh, but yeah, it, it's just like how it holds together is so much, I think, about the unknown and like you're going on this journey mm-hmm. um, into this world. 
you know, but now that if you're familiar with it, if you know where it's going with that, yeah, it just it yeah. doesn't quite hold up that way. So yeah, mm. and I sorry to say Crash is not a keeper. <laughs> oh. David Groninger. But it's mm-hmm. still like miles better than the Paul Haggis best picture crash. Right. From two thousand four to the official crash, yeah. Yeah. yeah this is the that. only crash worth knowing. Like yeah, if, right. if you've never seen it, um and we've already just spoiled most of it, uh, and you're listening up to this point, um, yeah, go go see Crash, you know. And the N C seventeen version. Yeah. Um yeah. so mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, um do you have a couple more minutes? Uh, yeah, for sure. Okay. Because uh, um something you mentioned um on um the episode I did with Kai, me and Kai we ended with a trivia game. And yeah, I think you mentioned, oh, hey, that game was kinda cool. So I thought yeah. we might as well end this one. Oh boy. The game, the game, don't blow it the game. <laughs> with our very own version of the game from the, oh, the Man I Love Films podcast. Okay. I don't think Kai will sue us. I think I, I think everything's <laughs> on the up and up. All right. Um so if if you're up for it. Yeah, for sure. And I think you guys mentioned on that episode that his podcast is like uh, on hiatus right now. So we'll fill the gap. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> We're just kind of yeah. ho- holding it here. Um, so, yeah, right. so I prepared a game. I prepared three movies for you, Young Carlo. Oh, boy. Um, okay. Okay. And the way the game works again, it's uh, if you get the movie on the first guess, you get seven points. You get it on the sixth clue, six points, so on down. Perfect score is going to be mm-hmm. 21. Um, I think Kai got, got uh, in three movies, I think got a 16. So you're trying to beat a 16 here. Okay. <laughs> and uh, here, let's get All some right. crash. I'll never get it on the first one. <laughs> okay, here we go. There we go. Your first, your first clue. This movie is a 2017 drama romance. 2017 <sighs> drama, drama romance. Um, shit. <laughs> Why am I blanking on 2017? Is it Let the Sunshine In? For six points, um, <laughs> so, someone who is acting in this movie is Michael Stuhlbarg. Michael Stuhlbarg. Oh, um, okay. I know what this is. This is uh, Call Me By Your Name. Correct. For six points, this is <laughs> Call Me By Your yeah. Name. Okay. Uh, the the romance thing threw me off. I've never seen the movie. Oh, so good. That's why. Okay. Well, well, uh, yeah. uh, well hey, okay. you are good at this game. If, <laughs> if, yeah. you, if, if you've never seen the movie, you got it at six. Okay, here we go. Yeah. Your second, your second movie that. is a 1993 biography crime drama. Biography, crime, drama, and if you're playing at home, you, you can be thinking about this, you know, as we're going. That's the fun part of the game. Mm, man, yeah, and just so you know, I'm racking my brain right now because uh, uh, I'm in front of my computer, and you'll hear me typing because my mic is right there. Sure. <laughs> so I'm not cheating at all. Yeah. Uh, this is all from my head. Uh, 1993 crime biography crime what? drama. Oh my god, who were criminals that were hot in the early 90s? <laughs> That's good. Uh man, and you know, one of my favorite movies is from 1993, but it's not this. Okay. Uh man. Well, uh who could it be? 
crime drama. Um, I'm trying to scroll my head about like directors who who made crime movies around this time. Mm. So Reservoir Dogs was the year before, and that's not a biography. That was '92. Um, California with Brad Pitt. Okay, four. Here, here, you know what? I'm gonna give you some Mister uh, Unsolved Mysteries here. Okay. Nice. All right. For six points, someone in this movie, Pete Postlethwaite, or Pete Postlewhite. Man, I love that guy, but... Okay, good. Uh, Usual Suspects was 95. You know this guy, okay. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, Kobayashi. Yeah. Okay, yep, you got him. <laughs> he looks nothing like a Kobayashi. No, yeah, exactly. He, <laughs> <laughs> and he was also, um, I forgot his character's name in Lost World, but he was that hunter, the mm-hmm. bald hunter. He's a fantastic yeah. actor, R.I.P., by the way. Yep. Uh, he was also in, um. oh my God, one of my favorite movies is actually... And this is not the answer. Uh, Distant Voices Still Lives. Mm. He's the abusive dad in that movie. That was made in 88. He's great in that. And actually on my watch list, he made this movie with um, Ewan McGregor called um, Brast Off. Ah. Oh, man. But those are none of the (laughs) the movie. Oh, man. What what movie was he in in 93? Yeah. So and he wasn't in. And GF. also, just a, a, as like a side note, if I'm giving you a name this uh-huh. early, you, uh-huh. it's probably not a star. There's probably someone a little lower in the cast. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But th- he's that kind of guy. He never right. usually plays yeah, the lead. He's always like, um, yeah. Ninety-three biography, oh, man. crime, drama. Is it the craze? With a K for five points. <laughs> oh, the the tagline the tagline of the movie falsely accused wrongly imprisoned he fought for justice to clear his father's name in the name of the father correct oh shit oh baby. it was a giveaway in that yeah okay okay for, for five yeah. points that was in the yeah. name of the father carlo you are doing fantastic oh, wow. You're okay. at an eleven already, so you're oh, rocking and rolling. Okay, so how much? Uh, so I need to get the next one five within, to five. tie Kai. Okay. okay, to tie. Okay, so Here we go better than five. I win. Yeah. <laughs> All right. We'll see. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And yeah, I think Kai he figured out what the theme was of the movies. I think so. That I think that helped him with the third guess to get, get kind mm. of a high score. Oh right, right. right. Okay. Oh, uh, because yeah, it was like. Uh, an acronym. Yeah, yeah. I gave mm. him a theme. Maybe I gave oh, okay. you a theme. I don't know. Um, here we go. This okay. movie for your final film, Young Carlo, 1987 biography, comedy, drama. My God, 87. 87. And you're playing a movie from 87 right now. I am. <laughs> oh, whoa, that's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> that's the only movie i know from 87 <laughs> i love that you know this music that's awesome oh well you know um one of the great videos as an aside by the way is the predator rap and I, that's the instrumental to it like it just adds like a little beat to it oh but it good that's good okay i like that predator. yeah predator rap is so fantastic like, rap. just it's some yeah it sam- summarizes the whole movie as a rap 
That's you know, awesome. And it, it incorporates like you know dialogue okay. from the movie. Right, so we are, 87. We are adding that into the show notes. Predator yeah. Rap. Uh, yeah. So uh, what was the genre again? Say that again. Yeah. Uh, here we go. 87. Biography, comedy, drama. Wow. Comedy drama biography? Yeah, kind of interesting sort of deal there. I think the con, the con, yeah, that's the mix could help. Could help. Mm. It could confuse, but it could help. Call me by your name <laughs> of the father. <laughs> <laughs> good, good. For six points. Uh, Robert Wool is in this movie. Oh, I know Robert Wool. He's an yeah. artist. Robert Wool. Um, my god um <laughs> the the crash music is really <laughs> i feel like i'm on mastermind or something yeah <laughs> oh man oh robert wool oh my god this is not my answer but like the only biography movie i can think of with him in it is um uh cobb with uh, but I know that was '93, I think, mm, with okay. um, with Tommy Lee Jones. Okay. Um, what the hell was Robert Wool? <laughs> Damn. Oh my god. Um, Robert Wool comedy biography drama '87. Oh man. <laughs> Yeah, this is great. I yeah. love this. Yeah. <laughs> this is music. Well, I don't I don't want too much dead air. Okay. Yeah. So a I, tricky one. Okay. Let's, uh you wanna just throw out throw out a wild yeah. guess? Um is it Tucker, a man in his dreams? <laughs> For five points, the tagline of this movie is the wrong man in the wrong place at the right time. What the hell? <laughs> oh my god. This is gonna bother me now. Oh man. I mean you're gonna give me the answer eventually, but yeah. it's just like the the fact that this sounds familiar. Mm-hmm. Oh man. For sure, for sure you'll you might get it on the next one. You might you might even get mm-hmm. it for sure you'll get it on three. On three. Oh but man. Right now right now we're, yeah. we're at five. But yeah, if I don't if I don't get it on this, I've lost to Kai, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. He, oh, boy. Kai call me winner. by the name. Call me by your name, of the father. <laughs> in the name, and I'm just trying to see what the connection is. Yeah. Like, a, what's the third thing? It's a little. Yeah, it's a little. You know, oh, like, it's a little man. clue, but also I'm a little tricky and mean, so maybe the third <laughs> one's a little off. You know, kind of like with Kai, I did. Man, I love fish. You know, to kind of screw, yeah. screw him up a little bit. Right. Maybe this third oh, one's a man. little different. So yeah. In the name of love, in the name. Um, <laughs> yeah. What what continues with in your name? Um, Biography, comedy, oh, d- drama, eighty seven. <sighs> Oh, so all three of them have name in the title. Maybe. <laughs> this is what I'm thinking. This is where I'm I'm going along those lines. But I, in the name of the rose? 
No? For four points. Oh, fuck. Your director, the director, is Barry oh, I, Levinson. Oh, it's Diner. No. No? No. Fuck. No. Okay. okay. Um. For three points. <laughs> Forrest Whitaker is in this movie. Maybe, Barry maybe you haven't seen this. Okay, this is interesting. Maybe yeah, I'm 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 not yeah. that well versed in 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 Barry Levinson. Yeah. Uh, but Diner is a great movie. I really like that movie. Um. Oh man, Barry Levinson. Barry Levinson. What did he do in '87? Comedy, comedy, and you said it's also biography. Biography, comedy, comedy, drama, drama. Com- like Robert- I most know it as a comedy. My God, eighty-seven. But I guess it's based uh, on on a true story, so, so that's why it's biography. Hmm. Damn. All right. I'm. I'm. Okay. okay. I'm just gonna think of uh Barry Levinson movies yeah. and uh, yeah, and yeah, but uh, I won't lock it in yet. So okay. I'm thinking of go. yeah. I'm just thinking out loud. So Tin Man, Avalon, something's gotta have name in the title. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, what else has Barry Levinson directed? He's directed a lot of crap too. Like, I mean, he's one of those directors who just kind of, I guess, lost his way and kind of just became a generic director. Mm-hmm. And now he's just uh, more well known for his son, who you know, um, uh, created Euphoria. Yeah. Uh, and I think he has a new show too, Sam oh. Levinson. It's like with, um, again, like the Hollywood generation thing because yeah. i think the lead is um lily rose depp john johnny depp's daughter oh it's, um, it says he directed rain man interesting and that's not the answer no, right it's not rain man <laughs> it's the, it's a, yeah rain man's 88 this yeah, is the year the year think, b- before yeah to think that yeah he he peaked with rain man because rain man was like an oscar winner i did it win best picture rain man did rain Oh yeah, did it? Let's see. We're gonna have to. Yeah, can you check? Let's check this. Out. Um, while I'm I'm still yeah, juggling. While, while you're. <laughs> yeah, Barry Levinson movies. Oh man. Yeah, and just for for people at home, I also don't have my phone near me. So yeah. just so you know, it, this it's is charging right now. This is for real. For so real. I, I'm just like really trying to rack my brain for Barry Levinson movies. Um, I appreciate so th- that you're really trying to get this. You know, yeah. like like you're really going. <laughs> yeah, it's killing class. me. And you, that was the other clue too of the the tagline, right? Say that again. The oh right, wrong man. What is it? Yeah, the tagline is the wrong man in the wrong place at the right time. Wrong man, wrong place at the right time. Crime biography or comedy biography drama. Oh, yeah. It looks like this did. It won best picture and best director. Yeah, yeah, and Dustin Hoffman won too. Yeah, um, but not for so, this movie. Yeah. Oh, not for that movie. Well, no, we sorry, for, for Rain Man, but not for the movie that. that oh right, that we're right. Trying to guess here. Oh man, Forrest Whitaker's in this thing. Robert oh yeah, I Wolf's forgot about that thing. clue too. Yeah, and I love Forrest Whitaker, but yeah, I'm okay. I'm also not well versed in his early yeah. stuff, okay. other than uh, Fast Times at Richmond right. High. Well, um, yeah, for two uh, points, for two, what, yeah, if all right, we let's get move there, on. okay, yeah, okay, let's go. For two points. <laughs> two the points. star, the star of this movie is Robin Williams. Oh, Cadillac Man. <laughs> for one point. <laughs> oh my god. 
<laughs> the name of this movie rhymes with food morning. Oh, Viet- good morning Shmong. Vietnam. Um, that's, good morning Vietnam. I, I've never seen this movie. That's yeah, I, 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 like like once I got past uh, four, I was like, oh yeah. shoot, I don't think he's seen this. Yeah, I haven't seen it. Sorry, Carlo. Yeah, it is it is definitely a comedy. I the the biography part threw me off. Yeah, uh, good yeah, morning Vietnam. Sure. Uh, I didn't know that was based on a true story. Yeah, yeah, my dad loves that movie. Yeah, he quotes it all the time. All right, well maybe uh, if your dad was listening, maybe he got it a little early there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So <laughs> yeah, he probably would have. So yeah. So you you did figure out the theme. I was going to go Pangalangan because you mentioned that mm. that ultimately means name. So I was looking yes. for names, and then but then I wanted to change mm. the last one to Nam. So uh, but uh, so gotcha. a, a, a little tricky, a little evil there. But hey, it was it was a, it was a good show, and you end up with yeah. a twelve. That's nothing to hang your hat or right. I don't know. I'm messing up what the phrase is, but yeah, that's a good score. Yeah, and also I haven't seen all three of these movies. That's, That's amazing. The crazy thing. I picked yeah, three I, movies I mean, you haven't seen. <laughs> no, yeah, I guessed them purely on like just peripheral wow. details. Yeah, that I, you know, because I guess that's the thing about my film knowledge is mm-hmm. that I'm I'm aware of movies yeah. even if I haven't seen mm-hmm. them. So that's also part of I guess what helps me with the uh, with those trivia games mm-hmm. with movies because I I know these things and even like yeah. framed. Yeah. Like, I'm like, oh, it's in the desert? Okay, this must be Thelma and Louise or something. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. well, I have seen Thelma and Louise now, but that was a that was a blind spot for cool. me for a while. Well, but, yeah, let, let's do this again, Steve. This was fun. Okay, um, cool. Yeah, yeah, this could be a regular thing. If you can prepare one for the next episode, yeah, that would be Yeah, great. it'll be fun to prepare it for, for the guests, too. Yeah. Oh, shit. We'll just yeah, steal, yeah, you know what? Yeah. So, sorry, Kai, we're stealing this. <laughs> yeah, we're taking this segment. Hey. This is now part of movie food. I got yeah. the jingle. Oh uh, yeah. yeah, and then we we have quite a few like movie brains as we've had for guests because you know um I don't know if you know this Bill Scurry hosts his own movie trivia. Oh, night. I bet Scurry. Yeah, I bet I bet he's really good then. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He um he actually started it during the pandemic because you know oh, everybody smart. was at home. So yeah, they they did an online thing, but he said it was it's really difficult to like tabulate scores because there's so many participants. Yeah. You know? <laughs> So he he actually has a partner. He does it with uh, Wendy Mays, I think her okay. name is, and she actually used to host a trivia night that um, I met my my now friends from New York at. Like uh, we we used to do the trivia nights at Videology, and oh nice, we destroyed the competition. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, we, we have quite a f- yeah we have quite a few film brains. You know, Jacob knows his shit, and Brandon is pretty knowledgeable oh, yeah. too. So well, good, yeah. And they're they're definitely going to be recurring guests. Awesome. I feel. Well, that's good to know. Okay, we'll have to b- bring it back. Um, Absolutely, man. Yeah, let's bring right, it back. Cool. All right. Well, let's All bring right, this baby home, Carlo. What do you got yes. to plug? What do you want to wrap up with? Um, yeah, I always tend to forget this too. Oh, yeah. Like on the episodes where I was mentioning this with Jacob's episode, like when I I'm just doing it with a guest, I always forget to ask them. <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> and then yeah i don't even like say the name of our pod like uh, i just get it started i don't even like welcome to movie food oh yeah uh but yeah um you know i you can find me at, at carlo kino and then you know we are both at um movie food pod at, on twitter mm-hmm. um and we do have an email uh i think we mentioned it in earlier episodes but we now have a newer email which is more in line so it's and it's shorter so it's uh moviefood at yahoo.com so 
if people, new listeners uh, or regular listeners want to send us mail, hate mail, whatever it is, uh, corrections, maybe something we Ooh, missed. Corrections, you know? yeah, that'd be good. Yeah, and you can always add us at on um, at Twitter too. We're pretty active there as well. So uh, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, th- those are the main ones. Carlo Kino, oh, with a K, by the way, on both words. So Carlo with a K mm-hmm. and then Kino with a K. Yeah, all case. Uh, yeah, all case on the Carlo. Yep. You, if you, if you want to support the show, just just be like, hey, I like these guys. I'll I'll give them some um, some some change here to help them keep the lights on. You can go to our Patreon, movie food. You got your Astro Fish letter box F I S. Oh yes, I forgot. Yeah, I forgot about that letter box too. Uh, when I was just mentioning my reviews yeah. earlier. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh, once again, yeah, check out my EP, Lost in Map City by Positron. That's on Spotify and Apple Music. Yes, and with that, I think that, I think that's it. I think we got through All it. All right. Another classic in the books. Mm. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.